Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com A firefighter new to the job makes a major faux pas while getting to know his new colleagues. What he says was a gesture of goodwill was not received that way at all. Fox 2's Taryn Asher here now to explain why some people were so offended. Taryn. Well, Robert Pattison had just completed the Firefighter Training Academy. He was set to work at Detroit's Engine 55. He says he brought a watermelon with a pink bow to introduce himself to the crew as a nice gesture. But it certainly wasn't taken that way. Fired before he officially started. Last Monday, 41-year-old Robert Pattison went to introduce himself to his fellow firefighters at Engine 55 at Joy and Southfield in Detroit. 2nd Battalion Chief Sean McCarty calls it a tradition for firefighters. It's not mandatory. It's voluntary. You come in, you bring gifts. You, uh, you might bring some The usual gift is donuts. Okay. Um, but you're allowed to bring in whatever you want to bring in. And Pattison, a probationary firefighter, decided to bring this watermelon with a pink ribbon on top. We're told some African-American firefighters were instantly offended, since 90% of the people who work at Engine 55 are black. When you get your first detail to a firehouse, you, you know um, pretty much what you're getting yourself into. So I would have to say, you know, it was probably a bad call. Is it racially insensitive to bring a watermelon into a to firehouse? Some peeps, to some people. I spoke to Pattison by phone, who claims it was not a joke, and he did not mean to offend his fellow firefighters. But he clearly did. Fire Commissioner Eric Jones says the Fenton native was officially discharged. 
In a statement, Jones says there is zero tolerance for discriminatory behavior inside the Detroit Fire Department. On Saturday, September 30th at Engine 55, a trial firefighter engaged in unsatisfactory work behavior, which was deemed offensive and racially insensitive to members of the Detroit Fire Department. After a thorough investigation, it was determined that the best course of action was to terminate the employment of this probationary employee. In a world where racial tensions run high, some tell me the trial firefighter should have known better. Trout doesn't know if he meant anything by it, but feels it was a bad choice. Oh, for sure. By far. By far none it was. The question is, did DFD overreact? Should he have and lost his job over a water bottle? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, between what he did and losing his job, there, there were a few things that could have been done. Well, Battalion Chief McCarty goes on to say, although a group inside the firehouse wanted Pattinson fired, many others wanted him to be able to stay so they could educate him about why it was an offensive and really continue this discussion. Huel? So, Taryn, how is the union responding tonight? Well, Union President Mike Nevins says that the union feels the administration dealt with the employee in what they determined to be in the best interest of the department. So it sounds as if they supported the move. Black brother. Black brother to hell. And we say that's power. It really isn't. It's just a spokesperson with a microphone making speeches to a lot of black people who, when they leave there, are going to leave there high-fiving and feeling fine and go right on back to the routine they've always done. And proof of it is, this is what has always happened. So counter-racist science, which is what we are supposed to be trying to evolve now, is supposed to be different. That when you say things and when you do things, they take effect. And it happens as an individual. See, I imagine most of you are tired of doing what I did for years, going to meetings, feeling fine, and then going back on the job the next day doing the same old thing, acting the same way, having the same value system, talking the same nonsense, getting on the elevator, insulting people as black males usually do, which is something I'm going to talk about tonight, elevator insults. I want to say that right now while it's on my mind. Stop it, particularly black males, in a place where you know a lot of people where you work. You ever notice black people on an elevator? Okay, we should to start right now. It's a set rule in counter-racist logic. Get on the elevator and say good morning. When you get to your floor, get off and say have a nice day. That's it. Don't say nothing else. If black people could just do that much, you'd be miles ahead. The white supremacists are wondering what's going on. You're not high-fiving looking in the back of the elevator when you get on in front and look over everybody's head and insulting somebody that you know on the back. Hey, man, how come your eyes so red? That's your black male. See, you're entertaining. See, stop being the entertainment, entertainment committee. Black people get around white people and immediately start monkey shining. So it's understandable considering our condition and the way we've been programmed but you resist it. And the only way you can resist it is by having a code. Get on the elevator. Say good morning to everybody on the elevator, black and white, just one time. Say good morning. You know, one size fits all. Turn around and face the front. Ride to your floor. Get off. Say have a nice day. Not get on with a, hey man, 
What you doing, man? Well, you think about them Oakland A's, huh? I know you had your money on it. That's black people. Oh, man, you know where the A's can go and you too. See? And then they get into a thing of insulting each other. It degenerates immediately into elevated insults. This is Monday morning. This is how you start your day. Yet we talk about some black pride, black this. We don't have a method of doing anything. And we've got to itemize everything because you know how we are. If you don't itemize everything for black people, they'll get lost in a minute. Which is not because we are just by nature, dumb or inept, it's because this is the result of this monolith called white supremacy. Now, I know that hurts. We like to run our mouths all the time about nothing. Folk ways. I've had to fight it for a long time. It's not easy. White males, men, do not like to talk to black males even when they try, because their conversation is limited. Isn't this the truth? After we get beyond, after he'll start it off by saying something about the weather. That's always an opening. Then sports, you know, what the football team or the basketball team is going to do. And then, if they really know each other, have had a couple of conversations before, sex about black females. See, he's not going to stand up here and talk to you about white women. And black males know this. And black males don't talk to white men about white women. All right? But he'll stand up there and help a white man talk about a black female. Right there on the job. White guys say, hey, how you like that number? Oh, buddy, oh, buddy. This is us. We say, yeah, she's sure shaking that thing. <laughs> yeah, like to get some of that. That's your black male. White woman passed by, and he's talking about the weather. Wait till the next black one come by. And then we will kill each other talking about somebody dissing. Dissing? You're being disrespected 24 hours a day and kicked from pillar to post. And because some black person comes along and rolls his eyes at you, you want to take out your 9 millimeter. He's dissing me. I always say white people are not unemployed because they have a job as long as I have one. Because when they come right down to the wire, they can get mine. Because all they have to do is walk in there and talk to another white person and they got the job. If it comes down to the wire, see... You can't keep yourself from being fired. Believe me. Not when the white supremacist decides you are going. How many black people are in charge of something? Okay. I want to reemphasize that. I don't care how big his desk is, how much cigar smoke he's got, filling up that room, how many white secretaries he has running around there, all right, taking dictation or whatever. He's not in charge. Under white supremacy, that's a contradiction. But you don't jump the black person, which is exactly what we like to do, because it's easy. That so-called black supervisor, you go to work on him. But see, when he stands aside, and then the real super advisor is standing there, you don't have all that lip. 
So stop picking on See, they can make you one tomorrow. Move him and make you one. You have to do the same thing. So all they are doing is carrying messages. Now, when I say supervisors, I'm not just talking about in some warehouse in Cleveland. I'm talking about some of them who have palaces in the so-called Middle East. They are messengers. In so-called Central Africa, people that the papers say are dictators got billions of dollars in the bank in Switzerland. They are messengers. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, October 12th, 2017. So I have been told. This is our weekly caucus workplace racism designed specifically for black people, victims of racism to share suggestions, how to neutralize racist attacks in the workplace. If you have figured out some things that work well so that you can get that big office that Mr. Fuller was talking about, uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend smoking cigars, but you can get that big office, put your feet up, getting your big raises, promotions, all of that with no problems. Uh, and looks like you're going to be able to do that for the next 15, 20 years, or as long as you you know, are interested in working, you should be one of the first folks to dial in with suggestions on what other black people can do to replicate your success. Uh, emphasize that any of the folks, if you are not having problems, you figured out some things that work well, even if you just figured out one thing to minimize conflict, with other non-white people on the job, minimize if white people, if they tried to get you on the, oh man, you don't talk very much. You're kind of quiet, kind of aloof. If you figured out something to back them up off of that, let us know, dial in and share 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star six, If you would like to participate. Number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Certainly, if you're having difficulties problems. Uh, If you would like input, suggestions, uh, just another uh, pair of eyes, a different analysis. Uh, If you're having a problem on the job, certainly dial in and uh, we'll give our thoughts uh, and hopefully help out. And if you have dialed in previously, if you have a, if you had a problem on the job or what have you, you dialed in to share, we kind of offered some of our thoughts. Uh, If you followed up with things, Dial back in and give us the update and let us know how things have unfolded, because that is helpful. We are all trying to learn and get better. Uh, If we can hear, oh, okay, this was the problem. This is what you implemented. And this is how things progressed. We can know, hey, this is something that works. This is something that does not work. Uh, And you can also tell us, you know, what you've learned as the situation has evolved. Very important. Uh, A couple quick things to get to before we get started. Again, that was Mr. Neely Fuller Jr. Audio segments you heard at the beginning. Visit his website, producejustice.com. 
ProduceJustice.com. I uh, spoke with Mr. Fuller actually a few hours before we went live today. He was a hoot as usual. He didn't have a term. He recognized the same phenomenon that I have been talking about for about a year and a half where racists, they will do a really good job of making it seem like there are racists, but it's about 12 of them. Uh, just you know, the Republican Party or the GOP or the Trump supporters or whatever it is. He was talking about the same thing. I asked him if he had a term for it. He said he did not. Uh, so still looking, still looking to see if we can get a word to describe that. But I played that segment specifically because I think someone last week had talked about uh, white men talking in a really trashy and sexy way or not sexy way, but talking in a trashy way about sexual activity. Uh, with other black males on the job. And I said, I'd heard Mr. Fuller uh, talk about that before in a workplace uh, context. Uh, I was able to find it. So wanted to get that in this week. Visit his website again, producejustice.com. Then, oh, also, even before I get to my other notes, uh, if you are unable to participate via phone line, you can drop an email and we can read your commentary. Uh, we can even keep it anonymous if you're concerned about having your identity divulge. My email, untiljustice at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. You can drop us an email and we can read your commentary uh, on the air. Now, some of the notes that I wanted to make sure I got in. Uh, we had people share uh, quite a few Folks uh, wrote in uh, before we even went on air this week. Uh, one of the folks that wrote in, this is a black female. This is what I say, too, about uh, just being observant in the workplace. Uh, you don't necessarily have to always be relegated to writing down things that happen specifically to you. You should be alert to what's happening around you. If you're in a work environment and you have other race soldiers around you, you certainly want to be mindful of, you know, what they're up to, what they're doing, what they say, what they're saying might even be of some importance. Uh, this black female, she wrote in, she said, just observing her coworker, she said, I wanted to share my white uh, coworkers, tacky, trashy terroristic behavior i overheard two of them talking about this cannibal movie called the green inferno they talked about how good it was and one of them said first time i saw it was on a date and we went and ate our steaks rare right after almost reminds me of delectable negro and some of our other tidbits that we've talked about but short observation from a listener again i think you can you can learn a lot about what it means to be white just paying attention to your white co-workers being observant as i said if you have headphones on i think some of our listeners have noted this before if you wear headphones you can have the volume down low enough that you can still hear uh, and or only wearing uh, one of the earbuds perhaps and sometimes it might even be a great experiment to have the earbuds in but have nothing on so that you can hear them clearly although they will think that you are not tuned in and paying attention to what they're doing or saying next person wrote in Uh, okay. I have an issue with my law firm I've been at for about 10 months. Since day one, I've experienced this. I've experienced their disorganization and incompetency. It's a small satellite office and we do not have an office manager or supervisor, which leaves a lot of conflict up in the air. The pretend office manager who answers to the hiring manager in the New York City main office never has complete knowledge about whatever she is asked. And she publicly talks to the other white staff about non-whites competency. 
the pretend manager, not sure if the pretend quote unquote pretend manager is white or non-white, also talks about staff's private issues uh, regarding leave and sick days or issues in the firm. I feel I should remain between the employee and her. I caught her talking to someone else about my absence regarding a doctor's appointment. I have grown gravely sick while working here this short time to the point I was hospitalized and put on medical leave. Since returning to work, they hired another non-black woman who is 60 years old as a temp to perm. However, they portrayed her hire as a permanent position. They treat her uh, they use the F word that I recommend not using. Uh, they treat her incorrectly. They treat her unjustly. They mistreat her. Those would all be adequate replacements. They do not give her access to our software using her temporary status as an excuse. And the attorneys complain she is incompetent without even knowing <clears throat> The IT man uh, denied her access to our computer programs. Uh, the IT man acts as some type of authority, which is completely strange. He even controls the electric lock timer on the double glass doors from his computer phone. I must mention there are no black attorneys in this office and the people who complain about the office or share similar complaints as me are non-white. I, I will say something quickly about the... Was it the IT person, I guess, who controls the electronic timer with his personal mobile devices, phone, computer, whatever it is? If that is a white person, that's not strange to me. Um, I don't think that's strange. It's been my experience, and I think others might be able to vouch for it on the line, that white people, regardless of what their official title or capacity within any organization might be, uh, when it comes to regulating other non-white people, it could be the janitor. And, you know, they might get uppity about, you know, toilet paper, you know, paper towels in the bathroom, anything, you know, the number of paper clips uh, you used. Uh, that's what it means to be white, that regardless of what uh, their position in the company is, regardless of what your position is, if you are a non-white person, black person. Me being white trumps all of that. And so, you know, I can go in and regulate anything and will make it my duty to do so. I think we talked about that before. Continuing with the rest of her commentary, she says, uh, now that is now that it is the end of the year and the NYC hiring manager is coming to our office to meet with individuals for evaluation. I'm not sure what to say. When I tried to reach out to her, she told me to be careful not to step on others toes in quotes. The truth is this firm is horrible. The fact that HR is outsourced and takes forever to respond to a request. The fact that the pretend office manager withholds information for us to complete our task and then pretends she provided us with this information. The fact that the two older white women who have worked here the longest continue to respond with, I don't know, when asked questions by us three non-white people. The fact that there is constant confusion on the firm's protocol. The fact that there is no one in the office to represent my employee rights. The fact that confidentiality is constantly being broken makes me want to quit. However, I don't think I should say this to the hiring manager. I would certainly agree there. What advice uh, can you and your listeners provide in this scenario? I do not like my job at all and I'm looking for other employment. However, I would like to see the firm take responsibility. Um, take responsibility for what would be my question exactly. If you... If the summation of this, all of this incorrectness and incompetency and withholding of 
information, if the summation of this is that you think this is being done to practice racism, is that what you want them to take responsibility for? Question mark. Uh, if so, I think I could give you the answer to that already. The answer is going to be they're not. Uh, racists are not going, whatever that means uh, in terms of whatever you would like them to, to just stop doing that, to admit that they've been doing these things and that it's wrong and that they should stop doing these things. I don't see that happening. Uh, I'm pretty sure that they know they're doing these things, uh, whether it's withholding information or whatever else uh, that they're doing that's incorrect. I'm pretty sure that they're not ignorant about these things. Uh, this is what they want to do. This is how they want to operate their business, their law firm. So I'm not sure if, if there's if that's not what you mean when you say take responsibility, perhaps you could share that. You could uh, email us and update us to let us know uh, if you I think you started off this by saying that you have had health problems that were serious enough that you had to get time away and even make a trip to the hospital. That's, you know, majorly serious. If the job is is not just to a point where this is something that's annoying or something that you don't like or something that is upsetting you, if it's something that is literally compromising your health to the point where you're having to, you're not even able to perform the job because you're having to go to the hospital and other things, then I would say the sooner the better. Uh, to get out of this environment. Uh, I consistently say, you know, hey, the system of white supremacy, they want to do things to make you want to quit, to keep you on the move. Mr. Fuller says that a lot. Uh, but wherever you go, racism is still going to be there. So I've said, hey, let's, racism is going to be a part of your work environment. Try to do things to neutralize that and try to minimize to the degree that we can having to be pushed around, moved around constantly going from job to job because it's just going to be more racism wherever you're at. However, if it's a job situation where your health is being severely impacted to the point where you're having to make doctor's visits and what have you, I would really try to fast track changing plantations. Yes, you're still going to find racism, but certainly the hope would be Let's find a job where I am not having to go to the doctor's office on a weekly basis where my health is not being infringed upon to this magnitude. Uh, that would be my recommendation. Uh, that just sounds really serious, extremely toxic. If this was a place that you're already looking to be moving on from anyway, this was not a place that you were thinking this is supposed to be something uh, permanent or uh, on a longer term basis. I would just say put your health and energy into let's make sure if I'm trying to get out of here that my leaving process does not take two years, three years, four years, five years where I'm still saying the same thing. Let's try to fast track that and make that happen pronto. Uh, if other folks have uh, commentary, feel free to share. Uh, you can let me know kind of some of the first folks who dial in since this person is requesting commentary. If we could get that first and then we can get other people's personal commentary. Uh, the number again. Six four one seven one five three six four zero. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six if you would like to participate. Uh, folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, we have other people who wrote in as well. I'm, I'll share their commentary as we proceed. Uh, folks who dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary or suggestions, rather, uh, proceed. I'm in the store right now. I'm going to uh, deliver my comments for when I leave the store. I'll, I'll be on. Oh, right on. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. 
uh, other folks, if we have uh, suggestions first and then folks have whatever commentary they would like to share, we can get that in as well. But uh, suggestions uh, for the caller who dialed in having the situation uh, with the law firm. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Greetings, everyone. Uh, I'm on Bluetooth. Uh, with the uh, law firm situation, uh, I uh, just was second what you said, uh, that uh, if your the shenanigans on your job, if it's uh, affecting you, mentally and physically, your mental and physical health, uh, then you should seriously uh, begin the process of uh, seeking employment somewhere else. Uh, The situation that was mentioned by the writer uh, uh, about uh, some sort of responsibility with the employ employer. Uh, I would just say BGQ to that, and uh, also state that it sounds very similar to something that uh, I uh, kind of like cringe every time I hear it. Is holding fill in the blank accountable, and uh, if. I think if the person just thinks about the statement that they would find that uh, if we're under a global system of racism and white supremacy, the victims, uh, part of the reason why people are effectively victims is because they they don't have the power to hold their enemy accountable. Uh, that's a reality, unfortunately. Uh, but you still there is some actions to your best interest that you can work on and pursue. And probably, I would say that uh, he or she needs to pursue that. Uh, just wanted to talk about the uh, the incident that you uh, put on about the watermelon. Uh, that is. Very, very so, unfortunately, it's not unusual. Uh, I would say, though, uh, because I suspected that, that the, uh, the station was uh, majority on that particular shift with majority non-white black males or, or non-white black people, period, since females do, females are uh, more and more becoming firefighters. Uh, uh, some places that I've been in that situation that I work with, uh, his temporary temporary physical health may have been in jeopardy. Uh, I think I heard somebody mention something about losing something. It's possible you could have lost some teeth in the process. Uh, although I wouldn't do that. But uh, I've seen worse. Uh, as far as on the job, sometimes non-white black people do react in that way. And uh, the fire department itself, where I worked at, had to reinforce 
the policy of what would happen to you if you are fighting. Uh, and uh, but uh, yeah, and also I am uh, very sure that he was very much aware of what he was doing, and uh, it it may be chalked up to uh, white sacrifice on his behalf. Uh, the, uh, I'll just say that because the last, the last, actually the last Dade County firefighter to die was a probationary. Well, he actually wasn't even a probationary firefighter. He was still in training, and uh, the uh, trainers killed him in a fire, uh, uh, in a training fire. So that could be uh, a white sacrifice situation uh, in that case. But, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say for right now. And I'll listen and uh, chime in based on my experiences on something that I make and uh, suggest. Uh, and uh, thank you. Appreciate that, retired firefighter. Uh, if other folks have suggestions for our caller who dialed in, feel free. Uh, the one thing I, I guess I would add in, uh, the call or the person that wrote in, with the law firm situation also touched on some of the suspected racists there withholding information where uh, it seems both this person and others who work there were asking information on how to get things done. And she said, I think that they would respond. I don't know, or they just wouldn't answer. That's I think we've heard that a lot uh, over the years as well. White people withholding info on the job. That's when I think where people have said, it can be great if you can document that you've asked these questions electronically, meaning asking via email. That way you have a record. Uh, so when you're talking to uh, the person was mentioning the quote unquote pretend boss and the real manager who's, I guess, in New York City, uh, where it can be presented to the person who has the power to solve that, to solve this problem permanently about the information backlog. Uh, I asked such and such, such and such and such and such. And I didn't get information. Now, if this is a group thing without indictment, because it's not, you know, hey, people are deliberately not answering our questions. Just I don't know what the problem is. Uh, I don't know if people are if they're not informed. Maybe we need a refresher on, you know, what the company procedure is in, in certain departments uh, with regards to certain procedures or certain departments. Whatever. You're not going in blaming. It's just trying to get a problem solved. And if you can have electronic documentation of I asked here, I asked here, I asked here. And if it's a site wide thing, I asked here, Ned asked here, Helen asked here, June asked here, and we didn't get the information that we needed. What can be done to solve this problem? That's one of the ways that I recommend that uh, asking via email can be very handy. Uh, other folks uh, who had suggestions, and then we can get your personal stuff as well. But do we have any suggestions uh, for the person who wrote in with the law firm situation? Assume folks are stragglers. We will ask again as we continue to move through the broadcast. I'll ask again because that person uh, was requesting feedback uh, on how to deal with their situation. So make sure to bring that up uh, again as we proceed. Uh, the other folks who dialed in, if you do not have a suggestion uh, for the person who wrote in or any of the th things that we've discussed so far, uh, you can feel free as well. 
this might be another one where we have a lot of spectators because uh, there are folks quite a few folks uh, who are listening in i forgot to give my my preface this is thursday we've hit october now i think tgi what is it tgi thursday i think that is back so shonda rhymes should be holding it down this is not for spectators this is not for entertainment uh if you tuned in just to hear black people and their workplace sorrows that is not what this is for uh and again it should be totally impossible uh to have three black people even if we had four people on the line it should be impossible to have four black people and nobody has commentary on workplace racism uh this is not for spectators i am pretty certain if nothing happens noteworthy on your job in the last four five days i am pretty sure if you think on your workplace history you have lots and lots of things to say uh other folks who dialed in i see other hands uh, with the hand up. May I proceed? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, uh, greetings to the host and the uh, callers. I wanted to share my experience this past, uh, or actually yesterday, and kind of a slight update as well um, as a situation that I shared a few weeks ago. Uh, there was a suspected racist white man um, in his early 20s who was a developer um, here in Kansas City, who owned a property that was purchased and is um, majority non-white black people on the quote-unquote black side of town, um, an area where there's a lot of non-white black people. And um, he contracted me to do some work for him, and I was able to uh, do a unit, uh, re- remodel one of his of the 20 or so units of an apartment building. And um, I took some of the advice of the um, host and the callers by um, making some really good, having some, some constructive conversations with some of the residents and giving them information that they would need um, in order to, to um, make, make the best decision so that they're not homeless, essentially, um, with, with, the, with the process of the new owner of the building, the suspected racist. Uh, he called me again a few days ago and asked me to come back to do some more work on the property on the outside. To kinda, he's, he's having some pictures taken. He's about to start his full full-on blitzkrieg of, of information um, uh, when it comes to p- promoting and marketing this to the quote-unquote young professionals, I suspect other young white people um, that he is trying to move into this unit, and uh, he called me back to the unit. So we're standing outside yesterday. Um, I'm doing some work on the unit. He happens to be there. There's a non-white couple across the street. Uh, well, I think there's, there's a non-white black male um, across the street. He's in an argument with a, a young um, a, a young, um, young female. She possibly could be non-white, but she could have been white. I, I couldn't really tell. It's kind of like one of those, um, those white women who, who, who tried to act, you know, try, try, try to use mannerisms of non-white people, but they're just really practicing racism. Um, so it could have, she could have been white, but, um, they were in some form of domestic dispute. Um, and he was the, the non-white black male was attempting to get away from this young um, woman and um and literally walk away from her um she continued to pursue him and was screaming and there was a scene in the street and uh and i think at one point the the non-white black male said that um or or the the young the young woman um you know possibly um uh, white woman I, i'm not sure uh could have been a non-white female she she did scream out i heard her scream well go ahead and shoot me shoot me just go ahead and shoot me so you know 
I'm across the street. I'm across the way. I'm listening. I'm thinking. I'm already putting my game plan together, you know, when they first start arguing because I understand where this could go, and I know how quickly it could go there. So I start putting my game plan together. What would I do? You know, if he struck her, what would I do? If someone else got involved, what would I do if I was asked? What happened? You know, I was trying to think my way through it. And the uh, the racist suspect developer um, comes out of the other building. He was showing some people something, and he, he overhears it as well. He starts to make some comments and um, um, regarding, hey, you know, what's going on? I'm like, well, you know, it seems like they're having some form of domestic dispute. Um, there might be a couple. And, uh, and I said, it, it looks like it's about to get heated pretty quickly. You know, I'm just, I'm just kind of trying to do my work and, and keep an eye on this. Cause you know, there, there could be gunplay involved extremely quickly. Uh, this neighborhood is known for that. So, um, he makes a comment, which I thought was very interesting. He looks over unworried, like nothing. I mean, this is highest crime area rate area in the city. He's totally unbothered. He looks over, he says, well, Looks like about time for me to leave. Cool, calm, collected, um, kind of laughs when he says that, walks over to his car, gets in his vehicle, and leaves. But before he does that, before he leaves, he says, you know, it looks like time for me to leave. He says that jokingly. And I say to him, well, I don't have that luxury. <laughs> I'm, and I, and I, I'm laughing. I, I say that with a joking manner as well. Like, I don't have the luxury to leave. This is where I live. And, you know, he just kind of blows it off, you know, we're, we're just making small talk to him, gets in his car and leaves. Um, I thought that was very interesting uh, and very telling, uh, you know, as, as far as a white person not being fearful. Um, I don't necessarily think that, uh, I, I think in either way, shape or form, he did not care. He didn't care if that woman was, you know, killed or if the, if the, if the male was, was, was killed as well. He, he really didn't even care. Um, I'm still thinking about it. It happened yesterday and I'm still trying to process it. Um, but, but it just really stood out to me how um, his disregard, total disregard for the situation and then his total unaffectedness of the danger uh, potentially that he was in. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I thought that was very interesting. And then, um, so I'll, I'll take any, any comments on that or if anyone has any, any ideas of, of maybe what was happening. And um, I don't have, uh, but, oh yeah, the, the caller who wrote the letter, uh, my, my thoughts would be uh, if your health is in danger, I, I previously was employed and my health was affected. I had an acute asthma associated with my workplace um, at a flour mill and I was on an inhaler and using a respirator. I would suggest that the caller um, look for other employment um, racists love to see black people's health, non-white people's health deteriorate behind work, whether it's stress or it's the physical area that we're working in. Um, it may not be easy and it may seem daunting, but um, there, there are many other plantations that offer work um, that have lesser levels of, of health risks associated with them. And I'll, I'll um, take my call offline. Thank you. Hmm. I had a quick question. Uh, just you were saying when you were observing this situation that, you know, might have evolved into a violent domestic dispute. Uh, and you said you were kind of preparing yourself, you know, in terms of what your response would be like, what is at that point, what does your code look like in terms of your response? If, if things had escalated, what was your response going to be? 
that question was muddied in my mind because I could not make out the racial classification of the uh, young woman. Um, my personal code is I, 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 I try not to help white people consciously or subconscious, try not to help them at all. So I, I um, in that system, I, I couldn't tell. So that's why it was kind of muddied on what, I'm sorry, I could not make a decision at that moment um, on, on what I was going to do. If he did strike her, my code would have been, um, I, I would have asked him to take it inside. I, I would have had, I, I, I would have, you know, if she was non-white and he had struck her across the street, I would have probably made a gesture. Hey guys out of the street with that, go, go somewhere else with that. Not in the street. Cause police roll up and down that street all the time. And, you know, just trying to, if they were non-white, try to help both of them just get it out get it out of the public view there's a house where there's a lot of drug activity on the corner and they kind of saw it too for the most part i i wasn't looking to get involved um it 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 escalates too quickly and i i saw the end being violence if there was any male um this non-white male was very irate he was screaming and he was he was a larger you know larger guy i'm not i'm not the biggest guy in the universe uh, so I would really have, that would have been last resort, throwing everything away because, um, there's a very good chance, um, you know, violence was going to be, was going to be the result of any type of inter, inter, um, intervention. Um, it's a lot to think about anybody. I've never had that as uh, a job where I was going to have to intervene in like domestic uh, disputes uh, between folks as a part of my job. But I mean, wow, that, that is something to consider because that could get, that could become a lethal situation uh, quickly. And I, it often does, unfortunately, but if that's the sort of environment that you work in that, wow, uh, that is a lot to think about in advance because uh, you will have to make some very serious decisions if that's a part of, uh, of your job. But wow, that's, Man, something to consider on the job and especially interested given, you know, what you processed and everything that you were thinking about. And I think you said that you couldn't even determine clearly the racial classification of all of the folks that were uh, involved in this situation. You're the white guy that you're working with didn't seem to care at all. Like, uh, yeah, I'm just hopping in my vehicle and uh, motoring on out of here. Whatever. <laughs> good riddance to him and uh be back to tend to the property later like that is standard disregard uh for non-white i would say life on the whole non-white life on the whole uh in particular uh any other folks have questions or responses to this situation Have you heard yes sir thomas in new york good evening guys good evening to the uh other callers um yeah you know i've learned and um i've never been in a situation um, where there was a white um, male and a black female in a domestic dispute. But uh, I've learned that when you help people in domestic disputes, uh, female tends to take the guy's side, uh, so I don't do it. Um, but, um, man, if I saw a white person, um, and I, it was my job to break it up, and I saw a white guy beating up a black female, I mean, a, a white guy beating up a white female, I'm going to act like I get to see it for a little while. I'm going to let it go down. You know, hope the police coming. <laughs> I might even call the police myself. These two white people out here fighting. You know, I don't know. Um, and um, I didn't hear the whole um, thing about the lawyer. I just wanted to um, 
say with the, if the advice you gave was was very accurate, um, get them to send you an email. You know, in the email body, say, hey, listen, uh, I wasn't trained at this. Um, you know, just send the person if you can an email. You know that that's supposed to train you. Just saying, hey, as proud discussion yesterday. Um, I was never trained on this. Now you know you have it in writing. So if it ever comes back. You could say, well, I sent that person an email letting them know I wasn't trained at this. Um, but I didn't hear the whole story, so I could be totally off the, the locker with it. Uh, and I did um, have a follow-up of, of my own, but I'll, I'll let you continue to get um, information for the last call. Right on. Right on. Appreciate that, Thomas, in New York. Uh, other folks have... Did folks have any follow-up for uh, our previous call, the situation where... The, domestic dispute uh, kind of broke out in his workplace situation, how he handled that and, and the white suspected racists uh, response to that as well. Uh, yes, I, I have uh, uh, two questions that I would like to ask the, uh, the uh, participant, mm-hmm. the caller. Uh, number one, did you suspect that this white male, uh, in his comment that uh, was comment was sound sounded like that he was much aware of who he is as a white person that more than likely either party was going to uh, involve him anyway. Did you, did you suspect that he had that type of uh, understanding? Are you still with us, sir? Not hearing you. I don't know if you muted your line or not. I might have missed that question. Was that directed towards um, towards me? Yes, sir. Uh, could you please repeat that question? Do you suspect that the uh, the white male that witnessed the uh, the altercation uh, had an understanding as a white person that uh, in that environment? I assume called a call it's that's called a uh non white and or a black community. Uh that uh he perceived that he wasn't gonna be in, in any danger anyway. And and that's why he was casual. Do you suspect that he had that type of attitude? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've I've mm-hmm. I've noted several times, um specifically white women, but even white men, but white women moving about with impunity, moving about as if there wasn't a murder there the day before. I mean, they, they'll literally walk by crime scene the day before, and they know those areas are dangerous. They're not, they almost walk by as if they, they have an army behind them, which I've come to the conclusion that they do, the invisible army of white supremacy. But yes, I, I don't think he at any time felt worried. Um, and, and funny enough, I, it almost seemed in his voice that he would have expected me to do something for him if he were in danger. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's where I, I feel that's why I'm, I'm just so confused. Cause I, I generally don't get that vibe from, from white people. The other question was, did he in any way indicate to you on the accuracy of the racial classification of the female? No, he did not at any time. Um, he simply saw it, kind of asked me what was happening, 
made his little comment, listened to mine, folded his folio, and walked to his car. That, that was, and um, within 20 seconds, down, gone. Yeah, because I, I was just thinking, you know, and, I, and I'm far off from any making any accurate statement, uh, just speculating, uh, is that uh, he may have uh, had the idea, let's say perceivably, if this was a white female, well, okay, but well, she got herself, she got herself in that situation on her own, and, and uh, I don't uh, uh, like the idea of, quote unquote, our women uh, dealing with those, uh, Negroes anyway. Uh, so she gets what she asked for, or if it were, or it was generally a, like you, you suspect a non-white female anyway, you know, one or the other, you know? Yeah. Now that you say that he may have known that she, she wasn't white and maybe he knew that she wasn't white and it was like, Hey, look, I, I don't care. I mean, maybe he did. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he, you know, instantly white people can tell. Yeah, because logic wise, logic wise, white people are the are the ones who who make make that determination anyway. <laughs> you know, as far as they're concerned, and I don't think I don't think they have some sort of qualifying factor of what type of white person does that. Uh, it's just something that they have the power to do. But anyway, uh, uh, thank you for your thank you for your input. And, uh, yeah, I, I would have to think about it on what would be my code, uh, to the situation also, but thank you for your input. It's not say something else. Um, first thing is white people are not afraid to go to the ghetto. Um, they might've used to be, but, um, uh, I don't see that anymore. Uh, in fact, I think they look at it like they're going from one part of town they own to another part of town they own. And if anyone gets out of line, you know, they can just call the police. They know that. Um, I'm white. Somebody's bothering me. I'm in this neighborhood, and police will be there very fast, much faster than if we call them. Also, white women, they're like the, the queen on the chessboard. They could go wherever they want with impunity. Uh, white men, they stick out a little bit more. Uh, white men have that uh, inferiority complex where they, they already know they stick out like a, you know, especially in the black area. They know what they've done to us. They expect retaliation. They they have a little bit more fear. I think um, white women, um, being that they have their condition to be the standard of beauty, they think, oh well, the, all these black men want me anyway. Um, they could just throw on a little charm. I've seen it happen in my neighborhood. Two in the morning, they're out walking their dogs. You know. Um, won't speak to no one, but if they need some help one day, you know, they hey, excuse me, and they, they know how to do it very well. Um, you know, I could watch the black guys just melt up, like, oh, this white woman is asking for help, and they're just so happy to help them. So they, they know how to play that dangerous and stress role, and they also know, um, like, the, like all white people, if they call the cops and explain the situation, they're always going to come on their side. Um, I'll be my line. Appreciate that, Thomas. I agree, Thomas. Appreciate that, Thomas, in New York. Uh, I think it's been my experience. Whites, they generally are not confused about racial classification. Uh, and they generally clear their confusion up uh, much faster than non-white people. 
I'm pretty sure he was able to make a come to a conclusion uh, about the racial classifications of the folks in that little spat or whatever it was and whatever his decision was going to be about how he was going to handle it or if he was going to be involved or not. And I guess, as you told, he did not get involved. Uh, any, any other questions uh, for caller who just dialed in to share about the situation? Uh, I think he's self-employed. So this would be a black entrepreneur and how racism plays out uh, being, quote unquote, self-employed. Any other questions for him? Groovy. Uh, if you have your own situation you would like to address and you have a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Well, I got a follow-up from the, um, oh, the white. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead, lady. Please, ma'am. Oh, well, I was going to switch directions. So go ahead. You can make your follow-up statement. That way it's together. I'll Ladies wait. first, please. Okay. Thank you. Um, greetings, everybody. Um, I have a few things to say. I'm going to um, share my own story and comment on a couple things and try to be quick and concise. So this is Emmy. Um I in the one in the DMV area, I did the overnight concierge thing. Um, then I stopped that because there was a suspected racist soldier who was carrying his gun in the building. So I stopped doing that. Um, and I, like, I, you know, I was back in school and stuff like that. So I did that on the weekends. And I started TAing, uh, being a teacher's assistant for um, college algebra, essentially, um, in the week. And then I was looking for a second way to make money. So um, I feel like I have shared with you all a little bit um, about my TA experience, but a lot has happened and I haven't really had uh, the opportunity to really like say all that's happened. So um, I love TAing. I'm going to, I love it because I love math and I love being in, being able to help students uh, learn, non-white students specifically, learn and understand math and remove the stigma and the fear when it comes to math. So I love it. Um, I do not have a the most productive working relationship with the teacher that I support. Um, I believe I shared with you all, like this is my first time TAing. I've never TAed before, uh, which means that I've never graded before. I'm not a teacher. And I think I might have shared with you all, like, my first or second grading experience, her terroristic way of letting me know that she was unhappy with high grading. Um, and you would have had to be there to really understand the dynamic. But, you know, I was sitting and she was standing and the way that she, like, hovered over me and that she kind of hijacked my notebook when I was, like, flipping through the notes trying to find something. Like, she actually took her hands and put them in my notebook and was shifting her weight and huffing and puffing. Like, this was, like... I was supposed to know how to grade um, to her standards. She does provide me a key, but that key does not have everything in it. And so, um, you know, I did my best. Like, this is something that I want to do. So I, it's only the second time I've ever graded, and it was this thing. So now um, there's this energy around grading. Like, now I don't want to grade at all. I don't like grading. Like, I'd be happy if I never had to grade another assignment. But... I do have to continue grading. So the first time um, she told me that I was grading too leniently, that, you know, I wasn't taking away enough points. And I was just, well, you know, it's hard to explain unless you can see. So that's just what it was, right? So then I have to grade another assignment. And I let my, 
there's a, there's very, let me pause here for a second. I am discovering and I maintain at this point that one of the ways that the system of white supremacy terrorizes and really hurts non-white people is that it makes us second guess that which we know, including ourselves. Because it is so masterful at how deceptive it can be, it becomes, it creates a, like an alternative, like because it's so subversive, you spend a lot of time questioning whether this thing really is or is not when you, you, you feel that it is. But if you were to begin to talk about it or you begin to think about it or overanalyze it, you might be like, well, maybe not. I might be making a big deal about something. But the way I'm beginning to feel is that that first feeling is the one that myself, uh, as a non-white black female, is just going to roll with. So, um, so things as small as like the color of ink that I'm using to grade and all of these things, they're coming into play in this dynamic. So anyway, I grade again. Let's get to the point. I grade again. And so um, now I'm grading too harshly. All of this is based off of her key. So I turned in the, you know, I had the assignment to grade this week and I turned it in on Monday. So she sends me an email um, talking about some stuff that was the subject of her email uh, that she wanted to address. Now, um, another thing that the system of white supremacy does is Everyone knows that, okay, as a non-white person, we have to work so much harder than white people just to be considered equal. And we've talked about how stressful that can be. Well, I'm kind of doing that right now. I'm doing a lot. Like, my course load is not an average course load. In addition, I still live an hour away from where I go to school. I'm TAing, and I do actually have a second job. And so she does know all of this, but I'm not this isn't something I'm going to be saying all the time as like some type of excuse or justification. It's just something you need to be aware of. As a professor, I would assume that you would take that into consideration. Um, so anyway, that with that being said, I'm not sleeping very much and I still have to drive every morning down there. And so, and I'm, because it's an hour, it's unpredictable what the traffic is in one city. So needless to say, Although this is not, you know, as codified, I can be about a minute or two. Class starts at 9. I could be getting there at like 9.02 and I'm running up the hill. So I'm a little late. So she's taking this real personal, right? So in this email, she wants to address two things, my grading and my tardiness. And so she goes in on the grading and says, you know, that I'm not grading uh, harshly enough. No, that I'm grading too harshly now. This time I took away too many points. And she even says, well, you need to think about how you would feel about your teachers grading your assignments. And my blood pressure shot up, y'all, because this is all based off of her key. I'm explicit in that this is not my class. Like, I've said this to her. I don't know. If it was my class, of course, I would make whatever discretion, and we would just be doing what, I, what I'm doing. But it's your class, so I'm going off of your key you don't tell me partial points for this, then I assume it's wrong. I'm not like, and so, you know, I will tell you in that. I don't care what she says in an email. I'm not about to sit here and make discretionary calls on other people's grades. If she feels like she wants to issue partial credit for something or not issue partial credit for something, that's up to her. I'm going to grade her the assignment based off of her key. That is my final codified response. If she wants to continue to feel however she feels about it, we only have to endure each other for about another month and some change. But I'm not going to sit here and, and do that type of work. That's not, I don't get paid that much money and that's not my job. 
your job as a professor of the students and as a professor that I'm supporting as a TA is to make sure that you provide us all, including your TA, with sufficient information to get the job done. If you want partial credit for a problem, you need to have that outlined in your key. I'm not going to sit here and make those calls. Those are students' grades. I just took this class last semester, so I'm not doing that. And so I've already made up my mind. She can send up as many emails about that as she wants to. I'm going to grade the assignment based off of the key. Moving on. So um, I support the, I love supporting the students. Like I cannot tell you that enough. So um, I try to make sure that I'm prepared for whatever, you know, questions they could ask as we're moving into logarithms and exponents, right? So I do one of the assignments to make my own key that we're going to be working during class. And her key and my key match with the exception of one problem. So I keep staring at it, and I'm over here thinking, well, I made the error. So I ask, I keep working this problem, but I'm, not, I'm still getting the same answer. But your key says something else. Well, what's up? And so the error is her fault. Really, I'm the one who has the right answer. And so, you know, after all of this, I have the answer. And instead of her just gracefully just changing her key and letting it be done, she actually comes up to me when I'm like by myself for a second to say what her other TA would have done and how her other TA would have corrected the problem. And then she even throws back to, yeah, because I remember how you messed up grading um, the other assignment. And I'm just looking at her like, man, the system of white supremacy and these white women. Wait, is that Gus? Am I talking too long? Not Gus. Okay, just making sure because sometimes <laughs> that's when it's time for me to wrap it up. So let me speed up. So anyway, that was something. So, you know, that's the situation there. Um, and to my codifiers, okay, would I been do anything differently? I thought about this because, like I said, I started to guess myself, like, okay, am I thinking too much about this? Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I did this. Maybe I didn't do this right. The truth is, is I don't think, even if I, because my codified response is not to engage in any frivolous conversation. I come in, and since I'm late, there's no opportunity for, for me to really be like, morning, I'm already late. Like, I'm up in here. Let's do this. Um, yes, yeah, so after that email, I've been trying. I haven't been late since, so I've been trying really, really hard. Like, I'm cutting back on the sleep. I'm trying to get there earlier. Um, just because I, I understand that that's one of the ways that, like, that's what she's using to terrorize me. So I'm trying to eliminate that. I'm doing the best I can. Um, and so I do sleep well with that. Could I have done anything differently? Well, one, maybe be on time more. But like I said, I'm doing the best I can do with what I got going on. The other thing is, no, I don't think I could have been any more friendly or anything like that would have made her not practice racism on me the way that she is. I don't think that that, like, there's an, there she would have found some other way. So even if I had been on time and been uber friendly, she would have still found some other way to um, get off. Let me just put it like that. And so, um, like, it's real. She's territorial. Oh, and she bumped into my butt the other day. And that's, that's what confirmed it for me. I'm not tripping. This is exactly what it is. She is having her racist experience internally, and it's just coming out. So um, I never responded to her email. I wanted to say, I definitely wanted to say that. I wanted to. I wanted to light her up in an email. I'm in a very professional way, but I did not. And because silence is my codified response. I heard what you said. There's nothing for me to say. 
I've already determined how I'm going to move, like what my next moves are going to be, and this is what we're going to do. So silence is my codified response. And when she didn't get that, that's when the next day she bumped into my butt. So, yeah, she's doing what she's doing. Moving on. Um, and, uh, oh, I didn't get to chime in because I had missed Miss Stacy's, like, not sto- I guess it was a story, but I remember I came in just a little bit about hair. I gave this some thought. I didn't get to hear everything, but um, I am a natural female. I have done all kinds of things with my hair, and I enjoy doing my hair. I'll change up my hair whenever I want to, um, and that's just what it is. But my codified response is any, like, it's when it comes to white people or non-black people, including, like, only black people will I talk about hair is what I'm saying, but I don't do it in front of other people. So if it's just black people, we can talk about hair. I love that because, you know, we exchange information, all kinds of stuff. If you're not black, I'm not talking about black hair with you. So my response is anything you want to know about African hair, Google it. I don't talk about hair. Because any environment that you would catch me in is like has nothing to do about hair. So if I'm in school, there's why would I be talking about hair with you? If I'm at the gym, why would I be talking about, you know, at work? So that is my codified response. Anything you want to know, Google it. Um, oh, and then another thing I wanted to say is that each experience that I'm having in a workplace environment has just made it more important for me to always have a plan. Um, I know I'm in a different position and other people are in different positions, but always have a plan. None of these jobs that at least I've had are ones that I intend to stay at for a very long time. So having an exit strategy has allowed me to keep the stress down. For instance, with the TA thing, I already know I'll never TA for this woman again. Um, and I might not TA at all because it's taking away from other things that I have. And so placing having a priority list and money is not always the thing at the top of the list. So I'm, you know, being able to see into the future and know how to maneuver allows me to not get involved in baiting conversations like um, that email that she tried to get me involved in. Um, Always be aware that you're being watched. I had an experience with that white professor that that I TA for where um, I turned around and she was standing above me like, Complete, we weren't even in the classroom. I was doing something else on, on the, in the math department. And I looked up and she was behind me, all in my computer, all in my notebook, like all in my cell phone, everything. So, and I didn't know she was there. Um, like I didn't realize she was there until I turned around and she was so close. I could have hit her with how I turned around. So just always, always be aware that no matter where you are, um, that we're being watched. And, um, I don't know if this counts as a joke or not, but I kind of, I heard it in BioLab. Um, so it's a group of white students, and they're standing. We're trying to fill up our, our fermentation tubes with some yeast, and there's a Jew, and she loves to talk about being a Jew, which I've never – I'm not too familiar with that, Like, but every moment she opens her mouth, it's about her being a Jew. So um, she talks about how the students, because she, she's a Jew who went to a Christian elementary school – and they used to ask her questions she thought was stupid, like if she celebrated Thanksgiving. That was what she said. And she was like, yeah, I'm American, and Jews hate the natives too. And I just was like, wow, <laughs> there it is. I don't know if that counts as a, you know, they all started joking and stuff, but I heard that. Um, 
I think it's important that the workplace be viewed as a battlefield. It's a war zone, at least for me. That's my experience. Um, I think it's very important, I'd like to say, for you to take care of your physical health as well as your mental health. Um, for instance, one thing that I'm paying attention when you work really hard, your eyes get really tired, like figuring, making sure that you can be comfortable physically even when you're at work to eliminate the stress that you experience when you're under um, races, when you're on the plantation. Um, for young people, if like there's like adults who have teenage children and stuff like that, um, pharmacy technician, I wanted, I've been wanting to say this for a while, is a great way to get into something that's a little bit, that's easier to get into, um, that's maybe a little bit not fast food. Um, I've been a pharmacy technician since I was 16, and I maintained that certification for a long time. And um, you don't actually have to go to community college to become a pharmacy technician. If you're able to get employed with a retail chain, like, say, Walgreens or Rite Aid or CVS, you can actually get on-the-job training, and then you take your certification for that state. Um, they give you about six months to do it. So it might be, you know, just keeping a lookout. Pharmacy technician has a high turnover in retail pharmacies, but once you can get in, get that training, get your license, you really can move on to um, you know, better things. And the pay is better than, you know, like say Walmart or something like that. Um, but it can carry you for a long time. So I've maintained my certification and anytime that I need a job, like a quick one, I've been able to become a pharmacy tech. So from here on out, y'all will be hearing, um, stories about pharmacy <laughs> from me, um, because I'm back in the pharmacy. And, um, I guess, I'm sorry, I made notes and, um, Oh, let's pause there for okay. a second so we can catch up yeah. with the <laughs> teacher uh, situation uh, with that one. I don't. I know we do have other folks who are in grad school, so I think we should have. Uh, I don't know if they're on right now, but I know we do have other folks who uh, are in a similar predicament where they have had to TA and work with a white educator uh, where that person was their boss or supervisor. How they had more power uh, in the dynamics of that classroom type situation. Uh, we, I think, have even done whole programs uh, on some of those dynamics. Uh, so we might have some listeners with feedback. But I think with I think you realize this, that uh, being truant, that's something that a lot of times whites will have discretion with. So if you're a black person, uh, you should automatically assume that you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt, regardless if you have a monstrous commute like you talked about or if there was traffic or an accident or whatever it is. Uh, you know, your class starts at nine. You get in at nine o'clock and 30 seconds and it's, oh, my gosh, you can't even be on time thrown off the whole election <laughs> like that's what you can expect uh, i think mr fuller talks about that uh just you know you try to do everything that you can to uh to be on time really to be early uh even though you know i can certainly understand with your situation having so much going on that can be rough having to uh, give up even more sleep on top of the hour commute to, to try to get there even earlier uh to appease this race soldier uh, i think with the grading situation that's interesting because i'm so accustomed to with math, you know, the answer is two. Either you got it or you didn't. Like most of the time there is no partial credit, I guess, with some of the some of the concepts. Uh they want you to show partial work and that sort of thing. So I I, I guess I do recall uh in some instances, uh you you got some points even if you didn't get it all the way correct. 
Uh, but it seems like most, or at least to my memory, most of the time, it's either you got it or you didn't. But with that one, it sounds like uh, I agree with your code in terms of how you handled that to just, hey, this is the key. I haven't graded before. Just I'm, I'm following the criterion that you have outlined by the key. If it's supposed to be partial credit and all that, that seems like another one that would be about discretion. <laughs> the answer was two. You have eight on the page here. Now, does this get two points? Does this get three points? Does this get zero? That seems like a discretion thing. But, you know, if we can figure it out so that I know what I'm supposed to do, bang, I'll knock it out. And I think that's also uh, I think it's it can be. It can be in a great environment to experiment because you said you're only going to be here for another like month and change or whatever it is where you can experiment. You can try things and see what works. And then since you're going to be moving on, you can, Hey, let's try something else. This is what happened this time around. And you know, this is the results that I got. I want to try some different things uh, because you're going to be moving on so quickly. Definitely with the bump. I don't think that's uh, accidental. Stacy is with us in London and uh, I suspect she might have a word on that, but I just, I don't think any, any of those, violations of space where it's with white people on the job where we have already had some issues where we're not the coolest there've already been some conflict and then there are bumps and what have you I tend to think that that's a purposeful thing uh, and it it can end up being a violent thing again as I think Stacy and London would attest to I'll hush there that any any other folks have commentary on what they heard from Emmy any of the suggestions in terms of her classroom or responses to any anything else that she shared I like the joke. Um, I think that that joke, um, you know, in this area, you have a lot of Jews. They call it Jew York. Um, you have Jews that look white, and you have Jews that look more um, Arabic-looking. They don't, they're not going to pass for white. So I find that the white Jews, they like to always talk about being Jews because um, it's like a one-off on the other white people. Because all the stereotypes are true. They got money, you know, they own businesses, you know, so they, you know, man, other white people, when that Jew leaves the room, they talk about that Jew like a dog. So you could imagine how they talk about us. We don't hear that. And then um, you got the darker Jews, you know, the more Semitic looking ones who want to constantly remind everyone, hey, I'm a Jew, you know, just like, hey, I'm white, you know, they try to remind you of their status. So I think that's why they, um, they're they constantly talking about what they are, you know, calling themselves a Jew and have all this Jewish stuff. But that joke was definitely intended to let the white people know, hey, we're white too. We ate the Indians too, you know. And I'll meet my line. Thank you. Always love the racist jokes. I definitely thought that qualified as such. <laughs> Any other feedback uh, or suggestions for Red, how she's dealing with her TA situation or any of her other commentary? Uh, I would uh, I would su suggest to Miss Emmy, and I'm, I'm I think she already mentioned it. I'm sure she knows about it. Just reiterating uh, about doing the best she that she could to uh, be on time or be early, and it's not all just for the sake of of satisfying you know the job requirement. Because that's actually for you, for for yourself, also if you can. Uh, 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 tardiness. The, one of the reasons why I suspect is in rules uh, for most employment. 
it's because it's a simple way to uh, harass and or get rid of employees, specifically non-white employees. Uh, it's just a, a simple and easy way that they can point towards. Uh, uh, I did student teaching when I was in undergrad college. This is before the thought of being a firefighter even was even remotely uh, possible. Uh, I went to college to be a teacher, and uh, you did student teaching, uh, which I assume is similar to what she is talking about. Uh, that it that is something. Although that's part of the job of the regular teacher is to evaluate, quote unquote, evaluate the person who is working in their classroom. Uh, but in you know it. It come, when it comes to a white person, especially a white female, they're going to really hone in on on aggravating that non-white black person, <laughs> you know. And uh, uh, but it, but by knowing that, kind of like you know, do the best you can to ignore that. Is it any way possible that you could possibly, uh, if it gets worse, uh, that you can actually? seek another uh, classroom to uh, be a TAN? Is that possible? I don't know if it's possible, but I've already made up in my mind that I'm not going to endure that kind of, like, I don't know if it'll be the next email or the next whatever, but I will just mm -hmm. meet with her and thank her for the opportunity and just not be her TA anymore. Um, because school, like, this is, this is supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be, that's all it's supposed to be a couple of dollars and fun and helping non-white people. It's not supposed to be stressful and taking away from my studies, which is what it is right. doing because it's taking a lot of time. And I will just simply state that, that if you're not satisfied with me as a TA and this is affecting my grades, then effective immediately, I can't be your TA and you can't force me to do anything. Okay. Because I'm just going, I'm just going to put it out there and, and you, you just, just, on whether or not you 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 can do this, uh, scout around and find that that particular teacher, which is more than likely will be a non-white teacher, uh, that you can see yourself effectively working with. Is that possible? There actually are no non-white math professors. Okay. 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 Well, I mean, the next, I guess the next best thing is, is, is a white person that, that, that possibly based on what you, uh, made a quick analysis of that you can, uh, be in a better position to work with that person, you know, kind of like, you know, if you got the opportunity to scout around and, and, you know, find that person. Yeah. That's all I have. I thought that was an extreme question. Hold on one second, sir. I think that was extremely significant aspect of workplace racism that I just wanted to emphasize when Emmy said there are no non-white instructors. That right there, huge aspect of racism, white supremacy, workplace racism specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the caller, somebody said they had a question. Yes. Yes, I had a, a two Quick questions um, for the caller and the DMZ, Emmy. Uh, first, was 
what, what's the racial composition of the class? I'm not sure if you, you made that statement earlier, but what was the racial composition of the class? I'm going to say um, actually majority non-white, but not majority non-black. So um, I don't, uh, you know what? I will find out and I will have specifics for you because that's a great question. But the majority of the class is, I would say, non-white, but not everybody is black. Did you know the racial classification of the discretionary papers that you were being asked to grade of those students, or was that unknown to you? Could you ask me the question one more time? I'm sorry. Yes, did you know the racial classification of the papers that were in question as far as the um, discretion that she asked you to use, partial credit or something of the sort? Um, those particular papers, did you know the racial classifications on those papers that she was asking in the grade, the people who, who, who's, who did those papers? Unfortunately, um, not all the way. I actually, like, I because I work so closely with them, I do know whose handwriting is who, but I don't know their name. Um, and the assignments that they do, they work in groups. So not, you know, not every group is all white or, you know, all non-white. So um, sometimes a group would be a white person and a non-white person. Um, and they share credit for that assignment equally. Um, but I actually, and you know, try not to look at names when, um, but doing, but I have noticed whose handwriting is whose. Like I know, I just, I recognize the handwriting. Um, so I do know, but I try not to take that into consideration when I grade. Thank you. Context of white supremacy, Thursday's workplace racism. Uh, if you have commentary, questions, uh, the number 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Uh, one of our listeners, she wrote in before the program started. She took a photograph of one of her white colleagues' uh, desktop wallpaper, right? The image that you have as the background on your computer screen. And uh, it was an image of ostensibly her child uh, in the same cage as the family dog. So it looks like her son, I guess, or maybe it wasn't even her family member, but a white uh, boy, a child that looked like, you know, they're maybe five, six years old, and they are in the uh, kennel with a dog. Uh, and He's rubbing on the dog. That's what she had on her display screen. Just being observant <laughs> to what's happening around you, what you see around you. That's another thing. I would have the default image on my display screen. Racists are extremely nosy in the workplace. I wouldn't have an image of my family or any of my political leanings up, not Marcus Garvey, not Saturna Truth. Uh, I would have whatever the default image is on the screen. If that's the picture of, you know, the Microsoft uh, logo, that's what it would be. If that's the picture of, you know, the Apple, that's what it would be. I would leave it exactly as is, uh, give up no unnecessary information. I'm not, because it's not, as I've said before, it's not my computer. This is all their property. So I'll remind myself of that every time I sit down at this computer. Oh, yes, this is their machine. In fact, you can put whatever your company logo, put that on the desktop. 
Uh, do we have uh, other? Did anybody have any other comments they wanted to get it to Emmy? I guess. Stacy in London chiming in two thirty a.m. Friday morning. Um. Yeah. Hi to you and everyone on the call. Yeah, I did want to um, respond to something Emma said, and it was also, I think, um, related to I think the first letter that you read. Um, just about how people can be impacted by the, the the environment and how that impacts on your health. And Emma's point about um, second guessing yourself as a result of the racist attacks that we receive and I guess linking the two and, and Emma has said that she is um, thinking about ending her um, role as a TA. I, I do think it is a definite strategy to undermine your confidence in yourself and to make you second guess things that you would do without thinking. Um, and I know I've certainly been on the receiving end of that. And to me, I mean, I don't know, obviously I don't know MA personally, but you sound very systematic in the way that you go about doing your work. And I suspect that there was absolutely nothing wrong with the way you grade. I think the previous caller's comments about, do you know the racial classification of the... Um, people whose work you're grading was a really important question, actually, because I do think there's probably an element of that where people who this um, professor would not want to grade highly or would want to grade highly is coming into play, and there probably is a racial aspect to that. But I doubt very much that, you know, you're underperforming in the way that you are grading. I think it's probably that you are doing it too, too well, actually. And she's almost... Um, intimidated by the approach and and the and you know the racist tactic is to make you second guess yourself and question your own ability and it works it gets under your skin and um you know that that that, that stays with you longer than i think sometimes we realize and i've been on the receiving end of it and so where the first caller talked about oh sorry the, the, the person who wrote in talked about health being impacted um i think the firefighter is absolutely correct sometimes you know that you really do have to think about how long we're in these jobs and um even in my own situation i as i've, I've said plenty of times as i've called in you know i was on the receiving end of this abuse for three years i don't know where three years went i mean it's not my first job it's not the first time I've experienced racism in the workplace, I think this three years has been the worst three years of my life and it can go so quickly. And you do, um, or I certainly have been in that position where I can remember applying for jobs and sometimes um, the process of applying for a job and then being called back for interview can take months. And I can remember writing in, uh, sorry, having to write in and then being um, called in for first stage interview. And there was probably about a month and a half, two months in between that process. And my self-confidence had been destroyed to the extent that I remember going back to look at the application 
that I submitted. And I didn't lie. There was no, everything on that paper was 100% accurate in terms of my experience, my achievements. Um, but the racism that I received destroyed my sense of self to the extent that I didn't even recognize who was on that paper. I could not identify with it. And I knew that everything was correct. And, you know, I didn't lie. But it was, I, w I was disassociated from my sense of self. So in the end, I didn't go to the interview, not because I couldn't have got the job in the sense that, you know, I had the ability to do the job. I didn't doubt that. I just wouldn't have been able to get through the interview. And that experience is a direct result of constant abuse. And sometimes we stay in those situations. And I, I didn't... Um, I wasn't in control, put it that way. You know, it, when, you, when you're in that space where people are attacking you so much, you can lose it to the extent that you don't even realise you are, um, you know, you, you could, it's almost a vicious cycle. To get out of it is just as painful as being in it. And so, you know, I can completely identify with, you know, the, the whole point of second-guessing yourself. And I guess if there's anything to learn from this is really sometimes thinking about why we stay in these jobs or at least, you know, being able to stand up to what is happening and never second-guess yourself that you are under attack. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean... But, but the fact is, the the attack isn't necessarily, well, it will probably not be the case that you're not very good at what you're doing. You're probably too good at what you're doing. And I think it's important just to keep that in mind. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there, Gus. Context, context of white supremacy. Yes, ma'am. Red in Ohio. Yes, ma'am. Hello. Um, hello, everyone. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I definitely agree with um, Stacy from the UK as far as um, the reason why these people, these suspected racists, be attacking Emmy, because she could be very good at her job. I've seen that, and I've also expressed stories about at my previous job where the person who I tried to be more like um, a non-white female, very good at her job, and just different things, different ways these, the, the suspected races, they basically um, was there, I guess what some people call, um, what is it, uh, microaggressions basically caused her to leave. And I kind of felt the same way was just the reason why I left. But with my, I guess with my update this week is um, I finally since I had left the job, I finally got this like packet in the mail from my old employer just about, you know, what happens with the insurance, if I have like a retirement and like um, my paid time off, things of that nature. And it's been a little while since I left the job. So I kind of thought, thought that it was odd that it would, they would wait this late, but you know, maybe there's no competent people, you know, handling that type of thing. So I, I kind of got concerned because when I got my last check from the job, it did not take a, take into account the, the PTO that I used that I did not necessarily earn. So with my previous job, they would give you um, your PTO that 
they would assume that you would have earned throughout a given time period. So if it was for three months, they give you the PTO at the beginning of that, you know, that quarter for the three months. So they didn't take it out of my check. So I decided, well, let me just wait a couple of weeks or let me just wait like, you know, maybe two weeks or whatever to see if maybe I missed something and maybe I had more vacation time and I would still maybe do another small check or whatever. So I called because I found that, okay, well, maybe that's not right. So I called the company and apparently maybe I'm assuming that with my previous supervisor, because I felt like with my resignation, he did not handle it well at all. Um, I just think that with racist, they're, they're fine with putting incompetent people in certain positions and if, if they lose money, then they lose money. So basically I didn't, I was worried that I would have maybe had to pay the company cause I'm not sure how it's employment laws work. So I thought that maybe I would have had to pay the company back cause they didn't take it out of my last check. So apparently they just lost out on the money because I took the vacation that I didn't quite earn. Um, that was my situation. And my sister, she told me about, um, a workplace uh, racism situation that she had um, this week. So my sister, she cut her hair and she, she cut her hair in a, a way to where like she, but basically like she cut a part into her hair. Um, and this suspected racist, probably more likely a racist. She asked my sister, well, what does the part mean? <laughs> And like, does it, does, does the part have some type of significance? My, my sister, she doesn't, I don't, I don't, I think it was just that racist, you know, just trying to practice racism. My sister has, you know, made complaints about that type of, that, that woman asking different types of questions as if, you know, she sees black people as a different, as a different species, like an animal or something, which I wouldn't be surprised if she does. My sister was going to make up this whole elaborate lie about, you know, well, my people, you know, think that this part has such significance. And that's the reason why, you know, I got it after, you know, I was a thousand days old, just something ridiculous. I'm very glad that she didn't do that. Because I, and, but the thing that concerned me, the work, the thing that concerned me about um, my sister, because she, I speak about her all the time um, when I call in, because she's definitely my, one of my main motivations to try to learn more is that she keeps thinking or she'll say that, oh, well, she's just ignorant and trying to get it across to her. Like these people in these jobs, you know, they're not these white women because she has the most issues with white women at her job. They're not ignorant. They, they do these things to, uh, you know, to practice racism, to show their aggression. I don't I don't think that this is ignorance at all. You know, even when it comes to like, a, she might have, she posted something online. She has a completely different code about posting stuff. I guess it was supposed to be, you know, um, non of not nothing of um, not non controversial, but it still didn't go along with like the the theme of whatever uh, group that they had set up. I'm not a part of social media, so I don't really know too much about the groupings and the, the ins and outs of social media. And another white woman was basically, you know, um, being abrasive towards her about, well, this doesn't fall in line with, with the group you, but, and, and just really, um, partially questioning her. 
And I gave my, you know, I, I gave her my suggestion, like, maybe you should just, just remove yourself from that social media group or that just remove yourself from social media completely. Um, but again, I, I feel like we, as you know, non-whites, we're still think we still don't have that complete understanding that they know more about racism than what we do. Um, so that's all I have to share this week. Thank you. Hmm. Well, with uh, with the hair, I guess since that came up a few times uh, in a few in a variety of different ways, uh, I would probably I think what Emmy said in terms of not having conversations with white people, or I think she said specifically with non-black people on the job about hair. Uh, I think I would endorse that. Like it would be nothing to say. Uh, I wouldn't care what it if I had hair to my ankles on Monday and I came in on Tuesday with a shaved head, just switching it up. Now, are the photocopies going to be ready for the 12 p.m. meeting? You know, just back to business. Like, I'm not about to have a conversation about, you know, politics behind hair and what do you think about the regulations and what does that mean? And to... No, let's just <laughs> let's get back. We are still on the plantation. Let's just, you know, get back to where unless we're in a salon or something. And even then, I think we're supposed to be talking about the customer's hair. But um, with your sister uh, red in Ohio, uh, well, I guess even before I get to that, I did think it was really important uh, what Emmy said. And then everyone subsequently touched on it. Uh, Stacy in London and red in Ohio that uh, racists do a really good job of getting us to doubt ourselves, to second guess ourselves. Uh, black self-respect, I think, would may, would perhaps be the remedy uh, to that, to listening to yourself. I think Mr. Fuller even talks about that, that sometimes you, uh, the creator sends you individually, you alone, messages, tasks that need to be done. And uh, sometimes we just ignore that uh, as a result of the system of white supremacy that happens a lot. I was even reminded of uh, Terry Crews, a black male actor who came out this week after all the hubbub about uh, Weinstein, this white male who allegedly has been doing all these rapes for years. Uh, incidentally, I haven't seen where he's facing any criminal charges uh, where they've been talking about all this sexual harassment that he allegedly engaged in over years or or maybe he didn't i've seen some people defending him too but terry cruz is a black male he came out this week and said that uh he was uh sexually molested uh in front of his wife uh by a hollywood executive i mean you talk about doubting yourself uh for that to happen and he said he didn't he didn't want to be ostracized that was the uh, rationale that he gave i think dr welsing might say Victim of racism, number one, and then annihilation of black self-respect. Very important point, I thought. Uh, I also thought, uh, just quickly, uh, read in Ohio, I also thought when she was talking about her uh, sister, uh, I guess the confusion, uh, I'll say, that can be very dangerous in the workplace. And I think that's why a lot of us run into problems thinking that white people thinking that we know more about racism and thinking that these white people are ignorant or whatever excuse we come to as to, as to why we're facing all of this hostility. Uh, I don't, uh, I, I don't think microaggression is, is most accurate. The violence and terrorism that whites inflict on us in the workplace is not a small thing. Micro. 
uh, is not the result of ignorance. This is deliberate hostility and terrorism uh, that we are facing in all of its forms. Denial of promotion, uh, really harsh and punitive enforcement of rules, uh, in <laughs> write-ups, all of that is a part of the system of white supremacy. No non-white educators at the Institution of Higher Learning. Thomas in New York. Uh, I'll, you know what, Gus, I'm going to catch you when I come out on the other side. The train just closed. I just want um, just remind me to make a comment on what Stacey said, because what she said was um, so important. Um, and just to think, man, Terry Cruz is a big dude, man. Like, I wouldn't even think of, I'll look at him like, I'm going to leave him alone. And to think that they would actually be that bold in front of his wife, because they know that he has no power. You know, like, that's the ultimate show of, of their power, you know, um, just like on the plantation, as we read, um, to let the blue Negro um, to break the buck. And I mean, he's probably one of the biggest students, I mean, as far as physically um, built in, in Hollywood. I'm about to go in that tunnel. I'm meeting my mom. For sure. Uh, he is listed just for a size reference. Mr. Cruz is listed at six feet three, 245 pounds. Not a small person by any stretch, I think. Probably in a lot of films, he's played as kind of big, intimidating guy. Uh, and he was molested in front of his wife, no less, uh, reminding me of Crash. He didn't say an enforcement official, but reminding me of Crash, uh, you know, even though the gender is reversed there. Uh, do we have other folks who had uh, commentary? If we had any folks that we missed completely, you should certainly chime in. Uh, the number again, 641-715-3640 and the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. Uh, the caller at 2812, did you have commentary? Uh, good evening. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, good evening, everybody. 2812 from Virginia. Um, two incidents. Um, I tried to call in Saturday, but I just got in too late, so I'll share this. Um, it's related to workplace. It's not exactly being at work, but I think um, it's going to relate to workplace racism. Um, I was invited to a banquet uh, for a local, uh, I got a free ticket to a local uh, banquet for the organization allegedly called the NAACP. And I just decided to go. Um, I have a good friend that I um, do other constructive things with. And uh, we went there. I went there, met his family. And so um, I was sitting there and just being observant. And um, the first thing that I observed are a lot of other people that I have worked with in the past, even clients, uh, public figures, uh, officials. And there were probably more white people in the room than black people. And that was the first observation that I made. And I remember there was a broadcast when Gus was talking about, I can't remember what Gus was talking about, man, but um, he said if he ever was in a public place, and I might be paraphrasing Gus, if you're ever in a public place speaking about racism, you don't ever want people to be leaving there laughing or being entertained. And as I was sitting there, um, there was a young woman, oh, she wasn't uh, a young woman, but she was an older woman that gave a speech and the speech was actually constructive. And she was talking about uh, different things um, 
directly in conjunction with racism. But I paid it was the first time I really started to pay attention to words. I pay attention to words, but it's the first time to where the concepts that we discuss on the program actually really kicked in. And she used the word frequently white privilege. And uh, you know, after she finished speaking, and she mentioned racism a couple of times, but after she finished speaking, uh, she got she got a standing ovation. I was tacky, unfortunately. I don't know. I should have stood up for the for black female. I thought about it, but long story short, uh, after she finished speaking, she got a standing ovation from all the white people in the room. And literally, me just sitting there, I said, "That's exactly what Gus is talking about. They're happy." They're smiling. They know that none of this means absolutely anything. And they were singing Negro spirituals. And at the end of the program, uh, they sang We Shall Overcome. So it was just all in all terrible, bad. But it was a learning experience for me because it was the first time to where I really saw up front, this is exactly what white people want to happen when they come in and they take over these organizations, is that uh, basically the black people are, are neutralized. The second thing, and I'll be very efficient um, and try to be quick with, um, and I wanted to maybe pose it as a question to a scenario and pose it as a question. Um, I'm not sure about people on the call, but I'm in a position uh, a lot to where I have to do public speaking and also court uh, different business people. And a lot of my clients are white, period. And today I uh, had to have lunch with another person in our business. And, you know, he just started talking. Um, we're talking business and numbers and, and trying to get deals done, things of that nature. And um, it's just very interesting how when you become less confused about racism, how many different things can come up. So he started to talk about experience, about um, him being in the military at one time. And he, towards the end of the conversation, uh, he said, have you ever seen the movie Black Hawk Down? And I said, no. I said, I, I said I've heard of it. I said, no. And he said, yeah, I've had buddies that were over there uh, in uh, Somalia. And he was like, yeah. He said, the movie doesn't do it any justice. He said, I can tell you that I have friends in the Marines that said they were told specifically, if you see any person that is on a cell phone, Man, woman, child, baby, goat, cat, dog, shoot it. And I just listened. I just looked at him, and he was like, "Yeah, man, it's really, really rough over there. You should be happy that you live in the United States of America." And it's just amazing how these racists think, and just how they literally do not care about non-white people. Um, and how easy it was for him to actually view me as somebody that would probably think because I'm a quote unquote American that I also don't have empathy for those people. So I guess my, what my statement and my question would be is that do other people run into that in whatever industries that you're in to where you are having to, and I will use this word intimately have to deal with either selling to or having meetings with or courting uh, white people and having to go through different circumstances uh, like that. And I know because I'm in sales, it's a little different. Some people have occupations to where, you know, you're working on a project and you really don't have to 
maybe talk or maybe be uh, very intimate. And I, I think that's the right word to where you don't have to have conversations. But even in those conversations, you can be very businesslike. In certain industries, we actually have to go meet court um, and as they say, quote unquote, kiss babies and things of that nature. So I just want to know uh, how do other people, what are some other suggestions people do to stay on code if, if they are in public positions or things of that nature? And I'm sorry, guys, I went over my time, but I just want to share that. Thanks. Right, right. Uh, hmm, that's interesting. Do we have any folks on the line who that's a part of what your job entails, uh, past or in your work history, where uh, I, I think the term courting whites, that's a part of what you have to do, either in sales or something else, uh, where you might have to have some lunches or conversations that are longer than 15 minutes uh, with these whites about, you know, whatever it is in order to get the sale or get whatever it is you're trying to get done. Uh, any folks who've had to endure that sort of experience? May I share a um, suggestion? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, and, and clarify me, uh, callers, if, uh, if I misspeak, but I previously um, was involved in sales and um, I still study sales as a hobby, almost to some, I think there's a lot that could be learned about human psychology, uh, specifically strategies that have helped me. Um, I was in a Toastmasters club for three years. I was the president of a club for a year. Toastmasters is a public speaking, uh, a forum where adults learn public speaking. Uh, I was not, I, I knew nothing about, um, I was very confused when I was involved in the Toastmasters program. And uh, I believe I'm, I'm slightly less confused now, but uh, it has it, it helped me. You know, in retrospect, it helped me to learn how to speak racist language, um, not not just English, but the way that racists like to communicate. And it helped me to be able to communi- communicate more effectively with racists um, and to minimize my victimization via the spoken word. Um, so Toastmasters might be a tool for you. You can find a club. Uh, you will be in contact with other white people and non-white people mostly, but I believe it might be a constructive use of time in order to sharpen your speaking skills um, in a public forum. I, I uh, was also a public speaker in a, in a congregation for many years, and, and it's helped me greatly to, to just interact with white supremacists and feel confident when speaking sometimes. That it might be what you're looking for. Um, also, there, there are some really good sales training programs that are by white people. I believe sales is a very uh, refined art of deception, my personal opinion, that um, helped me as well. One by someone, um, author as well, Grant Cardone. Um, extremely effective tools in speaking with confidence and getting your point across to other people, specifically people who might be racist. Uh, very helpful to me. I'll take my call offline. Any other folks, uh, I guess with experience and or suggestions on that, if you have to endure, I think it was intimate uh, exchanges, conversations with whites where they might be referencing such uh, hit films as Black Hawk Down. (laughs) Hi, Gus. Stacy in London. Um, not necessarily 
having conversations about films, but I'll go back to the, um, the question that I asked last week about conversations on hair and how they can be used to distract um, and meaningful conversations about um, addressing racism in the workplace. Um, so that scenario that I discussed, I was in a forum, um, it was an event on diversity, and I was at a table talking about, well, the, well, the whole event was around racism, and there was just a conversation about um, making space to talk about black hair in the workplace. Um, but then when I tried to move on to a more meaningful conversation, because I only entertained it because I wanted something out of this particular individual, um, that she then disappeared very quickly and didn't want to talk about any, any meaningful way of addressing racism. And I think, um, well, I certainly do have that experience quite a bit. Um, and so, I mean, it's difficult because, I mean, the whole sort of point about conversations about hair, I find really frustrating. And I think has been made that you just don't have those conversations with um, uh, racists or non-racists or suspected racists, whatever. Um, but the point of, the, the, of today's question is really about, you know, when you are having to um, tolerate racists, um, because you, you you know you are in a workplace and it's really difficult because you are doing what you're being paid to do i.e your job um but there are you know there have been times again where i've been in um events and there's it's discussions on policy and i've had to speak out because i'm in a room where people are making decisions about as i said policy um investment and uh, making significant decisions about how money will get spent to address certain problems and I hear people making the most ridiculous statements um, and so you know maybe back you know in the past I probably wasn't the most codified in the way that I've done it but I've had to speak out and say look you're what you're saying is absolute nonsense um, because it does affect people lives or certainly you know some of the work that I do is when you're talking about policy you know it has big implications for how um, uh, governments or local authorities run their business um, so it's frustrating and you have to pick your battles um, and you have to maybe be a bit more sophisticated in the way that you um, uh, you know, you actually make those challenges. I, I guess, as we say, you know, not every battle is worth fighting or you choose your battles wisely. Um, but, you know, perhaps being more sophisticated as well, you know, is it, how do I go about challenging X, Y, Z? Um, and as I said, you know, in my younger days, I'm probably a bit more vocal and, um and, you know, one particular circumstance that I'm thinking about, it probably worked because I think there were just people in the room who were not bold enough to challenge what was being said. And it was extremely racist. Um, but, you know, um, now I'm a bit more s subtle in the way I do things sometimes. But, you know, 
it, it's difficult because you can't fight everything um, and you become a point of focus as well. Um, so we do have to be wise about what we do. Um, I'll meet my line, Gus. Important point. Absolutely. Racist practice racism all day long. So <laughs> you'll have many opportunities uh, to practice counter race. I say that when people get frustrated, if they have a, an instance where they attempt to practice counter racism or to respond and they are dissatisfied with their response. Psh, stay tuned. You will have plenty of opportunities to try again. Uh, we have other folks who had uh, commentary they wanted to share. we miss uh, any folks we have folks who have a hand up that we've uh, missed totally I think uh, Braz did you have commentary sir uh, yes greetings to you Gus and to the other callers and listeners uh, greetings to you Stacy. I know it's super late out there um, but it's good to hear from you um, yeah I would say I've had because I've dealt with like account management and uh, customer service by phone for a couple of decades. And I've had quite a bit of uh, very wild encounters with white people on the phone. Um, and some, and because a lot of times the calls were recorded, um, there's no way for me to really react in a way that's intensely counter racist because it's a recorded conversation. And then um, the only aspects at some of the jobs in which we were allowed to disconnect the call was if it was something where the person was cursing at us or, or practicing racism, then we were allowed to disconnect after warning them at least twice. So um, it can be very uncomfortable, I would say, to be in that sort of a situation where they have those sorts of conversations. I've had white women come on to me, offer me to stay at their, you know, their, some place that they own in South Carolina by the beach. I had, you know, people offer me to stay in their vacation houses. I, I had a homosexual white male come through to me on the phone. It's crazy. And sometimes um, I find that when, Gus, when you say things like just saying, hmm, or um, interesting, or sometimes just not saying anything and allowing them to speak, because one thing I've noticed just after, especially after reading Delectable Negro, um, it's really infused in me uh, the understanding of cannibalism in the most intimate ways. And white people, sometimes some of them love to hear themselves speak. So sometimes I just won't say anything and just let them rattle off whatever they have to rattle off and then just bring the conversation full circle once they're done back to the essence of the call and what they're calling for. Um, and then other times I just try to shorten the conversation as quickly as possible to remove myself from the scenario as quickly as possible. Um, and those, and those, in those situations when that's impossible, then sometimes you just have to literally sit through it um, and, and just deal with it really and try to deal with it constructively. If it's something where the conversation is being taken in a different direction, then if that's the case, then I would try to just interject and steer the conversation back to the original purpose rather than allowing them to continue on with some tirade or whatever the case may be. Um, and outside of that context, sometimes you just have to literally sit there, deal with it, and then process it afterwards because sometimes those conversations can create a lot of agitation on a, on a mental level on, and even on a spiritual level just because they're literally, um, they're, they're, it, it's a delectable Negro thing. They are in, j just taking your attention that in, in acute narcissism where you, they have to have your attention 
And because they are more powerful, depending on the scenario, you're forced to deal with that person and you can't remove yourself or, you know, extricate yourself from that situation. So you might have to just power through it and then decompress after the fact. Um, hopefully you have less of those contacts than more, but they can be intensely um, uncomfortable. And sometimes you want to say something, but the context of the conversation is work. So if you say the wrong thing, you might end up creating more problems. And Gus always talks about mitigating issues. And I think that's the best thing is to either say less, say nothing, or stay in the question lane. Thank you. And I'm using my line. Well, I'll proceed. Oh, no. Um, hey, Ross, what's up, man? Um, I think what um, I think what Ross says is uh, is pretty accurate. And I think the main thing, it's almost as if, and I could be wrong, but it's almost as if it's <laughs> when you're, when I was more confused about racism, I actually was engaging in a lot more of those conversations. Uh, and I was participating in them. And now it's almost as if you're... Like, I think exactly what Ross says, you're almost like listening more intensely. And, and literally, you're, when you're listening to the conversation, regardless if it's in a sales meeting or it's with a lunch or anything that you're doing, literally in your mind, even when the person's talking, you're like, this guy's really, like, this is really racist. Whereas you weren't even thinking about making those observations before. And I think that's just, um, you know, just do the studying and, and just becoming less confused. Yeah, I just think from with personally, and I can, I think I can see with other people, it's just more intensified because now it's constantly like you constantly see it, like it it doesn't go anywhere. And I just think I don't necessarily call it a frustration, but I do think it's a it's a it's a challenge because you constantly hear it. And that wasn't even that was the last thing he said in the conversation. I didn't even mention how he literally was talking about how long he was there. And he just figured out everything about Muslim women. Like, like from start to finish, it was racism, white supremacy. But I think you have mentioned before what, you know, what things you were doing before and what things you were doing now. And the, the number one thing is that now I actually noticed. So before I wasn't even thinking about it or I was consciously engaging probably in anti-blackness with the other white male or female or whoever you're engaging with. So I just think that's a good observation and I agree with Ross. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Josh Wicket, he's been a guest on this program before. I think he's one of Cree's uh, favorites. Uh, he did a counter-racist film review of the movie Black Hawk Down uh, some years ago. Uh, I'm going to post it on my Facebook page right now. But uh, I actually have seen that film. Anytime a white person mentions a film on the job, I would just make note. I wouldn't comment if I'd seen the film 50 times. I wouldn't have anything to say about it. I would just take note as to whatever they have to say. The caller that wrote in about the moon, uh, the movie uh, that I mentioned already, Green Inferno, I think it was. Um, just take note of what it is that they mention. And, you know, if you've seen it or if people that are into watching TV, there you go. You can learn about your coworkers and what it means to be white simultaneously. And I would say... In the same vein, you should not be surprised. I think people have used that word in consecutive weeks. Uh, strange. It should not be strange or peculiar. A white person doing something incorrect, mistreating, terrorizing a non-white person, especially a black person. It's nothing odd about that. Uh, and I think 
once we get that understanding and I mean, apply that in how we function and how we think about the whites that we're around on the job or anywhere else, I think that will put us in a better frame of mind if you have to engage in these conversations. Yes, I'm going to be talking for, to a racist for the next, you know, whatever it is, 30 minutes. We have to be on the phone if we have to go to, you know, out to a meal or whatever. Uh, and they might say some racist things. I'm prepared for it. Neil Postman, we're reading his book uh, tomorrow. I said, I'm excited about the book, but now this is written by a white man, racist suspect. I'm preparing doing my job, preparing for the broadcast tomorrow. He's talking about his book. He's talking about uh, the influence of television. Somehow, O.J. Simpson comes up in the midst of all this. This was a conversation he was having in like 1998. He gets on O.J. Simpson. Neil Postman, for whatever constructive info he might have in the book, is still a white man. And that came out clear once the topic of O.J. Simpson came up. You can learn about white people in the same way on your job. I am sure some people have been at work and O.J. Simpson came up over the last week or so. You don't have to say a word. You could. Hmm. And OK. And I'm not upset. Whatever they have to say. <laughs> like I already knew this person was right. They're just confirming what I already knew. Did we miss anyone? Uh, appreciate that, Roz. Did we miss anybody or folks have commentary on what they heard from Roz? If we miss folks, you should certainly speak up. Uh, if you have commentary on Roz, that's fine as well. Hey, Gus, can I just put just say something else? Because I just thought about something um, with what you were just saying. Um, if I can, um, I just wanted to say when I working in the healthcare field, you have to show empathy. And I don't like showing empathy to white people. I think when they call in and they have whatever disease, what degenerate inbred disease they have, I think it's good for them. I have no empathy for them whatsoever. I have no feelings for them. And I would have to be on these calls, their recorded calls, and they'll tell you about some wacky disease that these people carry and or some intimate details about some really horrible diseases that, that create these, these, uh, these symptoms that are just incredible. And you have to sit and listen to this. And I've even found that in those situations, even when there's something that's embarrassing, something that's uh, STD or something where, you know, some part of their body that's unmentionable is having an issue, even in those scenarios, I find that they're delectable Negroes. Like they like to give you this information to make you have to just empathize and, you know, cry with them and all of that. And I used to minimize that but still have to show empathy. And that was one of the hardest things. So there'll be times they'll tell me about some disease and I'll say, yeah, you know, I wish you the best. And all. And as soon as the phone hang up, I say, I wish you die five seconds after I hang up. Like that's, that's literally like the thought process I go through. So this system's insane and it breeds insanity, but I understand that I'm a prisoner of war and in, and in warfare, as many casualties as the enemy has is wonderful for me. So I don't care what takes them out of here, as long as they're taking the heck up out of here. And that is one of the hardest things that I've had to deal with working in the healthcare field, empathizing with the enemy. Thank you. And I mute my line. Context of white supremacy. Uh, did we miss anyone? Anyone have a hand up that we missed totally? Uh, make sure we don't uh, miss you before we get to the end of the broadcast. Uh, any folks there that we missed? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes. Um, thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. 
uh, I've been trying to um, think up uh, for a while how I was going to compress this all together. Um, uh, this week I uh, came back to work. I took off. It was last Thursday and Friday, and I came back to some news that um, an employee was terminated. Uh, it was a, a non-white female who, I guess, um, I wouldn't really say we had an intention or whatever, but like it seemed like she was sending me like I guess sexual messages or whatever. So uh, I was just trying to. Um, I guess you can say, uh, just be, I guess, cordial or courteous or whatever as a coworker. Uh, but it seemed like she was trying to manipulate the white people around her in some kind of way. And I predicted that this was going to happen sooner or later. But the thing she did to me, um, I did not want to report that because I, I thought that at least for the code that I had set for myself, um, it's difficult for uh, non-white people to get employment. And she really wasn't really much of a, I guess, a threat to me, not as much as white people, but I think they began to become suspicious of her. Um, so unfortunately, this person was terminated and it was the, uh, the warden, the code name, white woman, she was sitting at that counter and I, I kind of figured she was watching her um, in particular and I guess how she may have gotten complaints about how she uh, did her customer service. So, uh, yeah, this Monday I found out, you know, the person was fired or whatever. So, you know, I thought about Mr. Fuller in that clip where he says uh, when a white supremacist wanted to fire you, you know, you pretty much gone. So, yeah, I hadn't even heard from the person again. Uh, but, you know, I was keeping my distance. So that was my first report. Uh, the second one was there was a, I know you mentioned about the, like, keeping the headphone in. Like, I, it was one incident where, I was um, like listening to something like on a, at a low volume, and the white woman she would make uh, different analogies sometimes, and she'll incorporate people in them. Sometimes she'll incorporate like two people being together or whatever. So I guess since we deal with documents about divorces and domestic violence, things of that nature. She said, uh, I guess, to articulate a point about, I guess, somebody getting arrested or whatever, uh, you know, making up a sworn complaint. Like, she used me as an example <laughs> uh, about me and her being together, and I was beating on her, like, you know, beating her up. I don't know if she, or she thought I heard her talking. You know, she was talking to another uh, customer. And she used me in an analogy, you know, you know, uh, you know, an example to say, well, let's say me and such and such was together and he beat on me and I called the police on him. 
And then I forgot how the rest of it ended, but she was trying to explain an example. Um, obviously, you know, a clear act of uh, ferocious uh, racism. Um, and the next was, uh, there was a, there was two white women that came into the break room and they, uh, like a sheriff bailiff, and they were talking about the people who were going to be protesting next week. And I don't know if they said that we are going to be off off of work because they tend to come to government buildings, they were saying. You know, so I don't know if um, maybe KKK or what they call neo-Nazi people or whatever. I don't know if they were going to be at our building or somewhere downtown or just on the U.S. campus for the uh, Richard Spencer um, visit. So he was telling me that they're going to have police officers and sheriff people and all like that, maybe state troopers and possibly like SWAT or something like that. Uh, they're going to be throughout the whole city or through most of downtown at least. So, um, yeah, that was that topic was being brought up. So I didn't really say too much about it. You know, I just kind of just nod and let them speak and converse on it. Um, but, yeah, uh, I had thought up a term, and the term I came up with is uh, racist focal pointing for the um, for the uh, the white people who try to, you know, segment a white supremacist is a certain number of people. So, yeah, yeah that's the term I thought of, racist focal pointing. Um, and that's all I have right now. Thank you. I talked to Mr. Fuller about that today. He didn't have a term either, but I do like that. Racist focal pointing. I'm writing that one down. I think I'll be using that until uh, or unless someone comes up with, with another one. Doesn't look like there'll be any competitors anytime soon. Uh, the exam- That's metaphors. I point that out every compensatory call in about metaphors, just being mindful of metaphors. I think that's going to come up in crazy talk, stupid talk that we're starting tomorrow as well. But man, the black person ends up being the domestic abuser in the example. Tacky. Uh, With the female that was terminated, that is interesting that your code, even if you were not getting correct treatment from a black person on the job, your code was, hey, it's difficult for black people to get employment. So she's not you know, a threat to me, uh, certainly not in comparison to racist man, racist woman, racist child. So I'm not going to try and do anything to jeopardize her job that black self-respect. Uh, some might say, uh, how did you, is that like your code universally or did you just take that? Is this like an individual thing, case by case basis? Well, I didn't really have, um, like, it's like some black people at the job Well, for the most part, they um, treat me correctly. Um, but uh, with this female, like it seemed like she was just trying to, I guess, get me to notice her or whatever. But uh, I just don't think that she was, I don't know, like she wasn't acting with enough uh, constructiveness, I guess I can say, uh, for me to invest my time and energy into the person. So, um I guess it was a, a sense of arrogance there or her presuming that, you know, I would uh, behave in a certain way. So, uh, 
you know, with us being on a job and whatnot, I just uh, pretty much just, you know, kept it codified and I just said, you know, good morning to her or whatever. Um, but, you know, you never know being on a job uh, as a black male, you know, somebody, you know, can come up with some kind of, uh, I guess, some kind of uh, a story or make up something, say that I tried to do something. But it seemed like that didn't happen because I didn't really, um, like, go into it that far. But she started, you know, getting um, asking white people to go do stuff for her. And I, I believe somebody reported her for that. Like, I kind of seen that with the conduct she was putting out that they would uh, start to focus on her more. So, unfortunately, I said that, I said to myself that I didn't, I didn't necessarily need to, if that was going to happen to her, I didn't need to say anything involving me because they like to turn us against, uh, against each other. Um, she unfortunately had to find out from them, you know, uh, you know, reports of, you know, holding boxes with scam documents and refusing to ask me to come pick them up because I was the person who was, uh, you know, the head of uh, picking up those boxes. So she would, she would hold a box or two up at a certain place. So she would basically, um, what I heard be said, uh, attracting or drawing unnecessary attention to herself. But I think she probably was more confused or more confused, um, black female, non-white female, or whatever. So I think that's what ended up playing out in the white woman uh, who's wearing the same clothes. She's worn the same outfit every day this week, like four days straight. The same the same jacket, the same pants, everything. So she was sitting up there watching this person. And I think she might have been trying to watch me too. And um uh, you know, it was like a vibe there. It was, a, it was. I won't, I won't say strange, but it was a, um, an uneasy vibe that was there. And I think that they might have, some of them, uh, white women might have noticed that it was because of me. But no one ever approached me or asked me anything, uh, because you know I just stayed, you know, friendly. I was always speaking to people, so uh, that's that was that was what they knew of my character. So no one ever really ever approached me. Uh, so this person, I think, but she got fired for something else. But it could also have been like a multitude of other things. Uh, so unfortunately, that's how I ended up happening with her being terminated. So yeah, that's uh, that's basically how I ended up acting in regards to her because it it, it really wasn't any kind of major effect on my job and what I did personally. So yeah, that was the deal with her. Hmm. Well, I know it's been my experience. Whites, they, they tend to enjoy drawing us into if it's non-white people on the job, particularly if it's non-white people that they 
feel like, oh, yeah, we're about to get rid of, you know, this person and to draw another non-white people into the, oh, you know, don't you think such and such is, is just terrible? And, you know, don't you think we should get rid of him? Or don't you think we should get rid of her? Or what do you like? They'll try and draw us into that. I think it's that's an exercise of black self-respect. And that should just be a part of the same no gossip code. Uh, I don't really know the person or, you know, I've had great experience, you know. Uh, she's always been friendly to me. He's been friendly to me. and leave it at that. Like, I don't have a whole lot to say and I'm not going to participate in any sort of talking bad. I, I wouldn't care if, you know, I actually can't stand the person <laughs> like, and, you know, haven't been able to stand him for the last 20 years. I'm not going to sit up with another white person on a job and, you know, talk bad about a black person. That's just, you know, horrendous. Um, we have any, any folks who had commentary on that, uh, I can't imagine everyone would would co-sign on that, uh, taking, you know, saying that they're not going May to. May I be hurt? Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Um, just real quick, I, I definitely think that he took the right approach. And I know when I was much more confused, um, it was, I guess it could have fell in line with um, what the, the last black male was saying, the one who's in the real estate, real estate industry, um, there was a white person who she wasn't, it was a, a white woman. She wasn't necessarily in the army, but it was, it was something close to that. And she would basically, um, have all day long, like racist jokes and me being more confused, I would, you know, your laugh or, just, I guess, had that confused, that, that terrible thinking that, oh, well, at least she's not, you know, it's not directed towards me, almost making it seem as if just like what the other black male said, well, oh, at least, you know, we're both Americans, but this person, he's an immigrant or this person, like, I remember she had a racist joke. She was like, well, you know, it's almost like with um, Asian people or Chinese, she might even said Chinese. But like with Asian people, you know, their names sound like they you're dropping um, like utensils on the floor, um, you know, ping pong and ching chang and stuff like that. This is what she said to me while we were on the job. So um, I definitely think that he handled it very well. And I guess from what I understood from his story was that, you know, you don't with some of these people. Sometimes, you know, you don't have to do anything, especially if they're acting uncodified they'll get themselves fired and you don't have to aid in it at all. And you don't also have, you don't have to rejoice in the fact of their termination. Thank you. I'll meet myself. I've heard that as a racist joke before. Uh, actually one of our listeners, uh, she shared uh, with me, this is way years before workplace racism even existed. Uh, but on her job, uh, this is a non-white female, non-white, non-black female, quote unquote, Asian, on her job, she was walking in that she worked uh, at a restaurant facility. She was walking into the kitchen area and it was two race soldiers. They thought it was just themselves. And the joke was, as she walked in on the joke, she, the joke was uh, a Asian person was throwing a drawer of silverware on the ground. And the person walked in and said, what are you doing? She says, I'm picking names for my child. And so she's walking in on this. And so they're, <laughs> and so she grabs a bunch of silverware and throws it on the floor and says, uh, you mean like this? And so the whole kitchen goes silent. This becomes, you know, drama. They're apologizing profusely and bringing her food, which she did not consume, thankfully, uh, to try to make amends. And all this goes on. 
Uh, that's, you know, VGQ, that's the way she handled it. My view, that sort of thing happens. You ever walk in on white people, they're telling a racist joke or what have you, uh, to not say a word. That is a great moment. Hmm. Or even better, pull out your pen or your iPad or whatever it is. Throwing silverware. That's how that's how they pick the names that you said. That's how they pick names. Oh, okay. And you just move on about your name. Great where you don't have to say anything at all. You don't have to get upset because, again, this is just confirming what it means to be white. Practicing racism, white supremacy. This is not a surprise. This is not strange. You don't have to. It does not warrant you know, a lot of theatrics and drama. White people practicing racism. Dogs bark. Birds chirp. We have other folks who had uh, commentary. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, I just wanted to um, tell the caller as well, just massive uh, big ups for black self-respect. I'm a person who doesn't uh, adjudicate problems with non-white people through white people at all. Um, I've never liked them, even police. <laughs> that is like the complete last resort, and it has to be something completely out of my ability to deal with or control a situation. And thankfully, I've never had to call the police to adjudicate any situation with a non-white person, especially a black person. So I think that that was just um, just awesome um, in regards to black self-respect. And I just wanted to say that. And I'll mute my line. Indeed, indeed. Uh, we have other folks who had commentary. Any other comments folks want to get in? Yes, can I be heard? Yes, retired firefighter. Yes, that, that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why that I elected to never uh, attempt to pursue uh, uh, any uh, supervision rank uh, specifically for that purpose because on most jobs, if not all, a black person is in a quote-unquote position of authority. It's there to harm other non-white people. Uh, you would write an evaluation, and if it's not to their satisfactory, they would hand it back to you and tell you to rewrite it uh, on the job that I was on. I've heard that countless a number of the numbers of times from non-white uh black male uh, supervisors uh, in that process. And a, lot, and a lot of times, if not all the times, it was it was on a non-white black person as far as that concerned. Uh, I, do, I did have an experience of uh, a white person who was off duty, uh, who came into the station, and this particular station was uh, the early stations in Miami-Dade County fire station was actually with some white person's house. Uh, so just, just putting your mindset in the, in the, in the frame of how big the station was, it was rather small. And he came in with the, with the the racist jokes, uh, in a somewhat sophisticated way because he didn't say anything about, uh, uh, non-white black people, but the jokes was the, the quote unquote Jew joke the Irish joke, the Pollock joke. 
So I, I, but I understood on what he was doing at the time. I, uh, abruptly got up and approached him and the supervisor and say, I would like for him to be removed from the work site that I'm on. I'm on duty. He's not on duty and didn't say anything after that. And, uh, it's not that I have any power, but actually what that actually is, is, is policy is <laughs> policy. Uh, and, uh, he removed himself. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, that's all I, that's all I had to say. Thank you. None of us should be surprised just to emphasize that. Cause I know that I've said it before, uh, that a key aspect of counter racism in the workplace, you cannot be, uh, you cannot lose your cool. Uh, it can't be something where, you know, we're stunned or surprised about a white person saying something racist uh, or telling a racist joke uh, that, you know, just cannot be something where, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened. <laughs> like it should be. I've already thought about uh, if that happens. And from any white person, I wouldn't care who it is, if it's the CEO, the janitor, if they all. Uh, had a little ditty that they put together and, you know, they all came out in unison with costumes and everything and sung a whole, you know, song of racist jokes that, hmm, how interesting <laughs> and duly noted. If you can get a recording, great. And you go about your day uh, or whatever your code is. But it, it just can't be something where uh, a white person says or does something racist, even a racist insult. And we get upset or emotional about it. That's really got to be a key aspect of counter racist codification. Uh, as we, you know, move forward, just not being upset and already kind of having in mind, this is how I want to respond. This is my code for how I'm going to handle these types of situations. Uh, if you have any other commentary, folks wanted to make sure they get in uh, as we get ready to wrap up. I don't know if uh, O.J. Simpson or Donald Trump or any of that has come up on the job. Again, to emphasize that as well. I would recommend not discussing politics uh, on the job with anyone, white people or non-white people, uh, and just having a code about that. So if you get asked about any of those topics uh, I haven't been following or I don't talk about whatever your code is so that you can move forward without getting in trouble. Any other comments folks wanted to make sure they get in? Yes, may I make a brief comment? I wanted to ask about, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, may I proceed? Excuse me. Yes, sir. Yes, forgive me. Um, I wanted to ask about the book club tomorrow. Um, are there are there copies available of the book, um, digital copies for individuals who wanted to uh, catch up with that? Uh, I scanned the book, uh, the entire book. It's available. Uh, I'm trying to figure out the way that I can post it and not be nagged. Uh, if I could put it on Twitter or just uh, I can post it, make it a blog post. Uh, I can put it on Facebook, but to just put it uh, someplace where it'll just be right there and everybody can nab it and I won't have to be nagged every day or two via email or online uh, for folks who need a copy. But yes, I have scanned the book uh, and folks should be able to to check it out and be ready to roll tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern. Crazy talk, stupid talk, Neil Postman. Um, a, a brief comment I have is just a heads up for victims. We're entering the quote unquote holiday season or more appropriately called the horror day season where holiday parties um, will be rampant. So uh, what I'm attempting to do is kind of work on my code on what I'm going to do for uh, these parties or these invitations rather, because I don't see myself going to any of them. 
and um, or if we have to go to some of these, I remember having to uh, go to some of these mandatory gatherings happening during work hours. Well, how how we're going to um, either practice any type of uh, counter racism or, or what our response or our code will be for those parties, just kind of a heads up for other victims out there who might be um, who might be thinking about it. Take my call offline. Hmm. Great point. It is coming up. I, I would absolutely I would I would not get pulled into any of that stuff as well. If they have like uh, decorations and that sort of thing, I would really be resistant to that. It might even be coming up uh, the next few weeks. I know Halloween can be, you know, involved <laughs> for some places. I certainly would not be doing any uh, costumes uh, or dressing up uh, for the job. I do know that they you know, have done that on a number of different jobs that I've had down through the years. Uh, other Commentary folks want to make sure they get in policy and procedure as well. Folks, make sure you uh, you have read your policy and procedure in its entirety. Then you can go back and use it as a reference point. But that can really be helpful uh, in keeping you out of trouble on the job. Policy and procedure. Keep that in mind. Uh, we have other folks uh, commentary they wanted to share. Observations. Everyone satisfied? We get everything? Oh, yeah, Gus. Yes, sir. Um, earlier, there was a caller who who um, discussed not getting information or being, I don't know if it was properly trained or not getting information. And I just wanted to um, reiterate what you suggested as far as um, documenting the times that they attempt to get the assistance that they need. The best way would be an email, so that way you have a hard copy. That's also something that can be used as a legal document. Um, that's something that I had to do in the past, and it helped me immensely. I had like over 100 pages worth of emails that I had to throw down in front of the owner of the company, the VP of the department, and the three uh, white females um, that were terrorizing me by not training me properly on the job. So I think documentation is essential. If you live in a state that um, that allows the recording of, of, of conversations in regards to at least one party being aware they're being recorded, that party being yourself, that you can record legally, I would actually, even if you have verbal conversations, I would record those conversations too, just so you have a record of them. And I think that would be the best defense so that if something comes up down the road where they say you didn't do something or you did something incorrectly and they're trying to use that as a means to fire you, which is what happened to me, I was able to, when things got to the point where they were trying to move forward with um, getting rid of me, I had everything documented and they were shocked. I came in there like a lawyer. I threw everything on the table and I just went through each date and I asked each one of them per the email, why didn't they respond? And they sat there flabbergasted and couldn't speak. And I ended up actually keeping my job. And then they ended up downsizing me out of the company with a package. So it worked out to my benefit. So I'll just say that um, that's just a good way of, of, of protecting yourself. And that was great advice, excuse me, by you, uh, Gus, to the caller. Thank you. And I'll meet my line. Uh, Thomas in New York, did you have commentary as well that you were going to add? Give me one second, Gus. For sure. Crazy Talk, Stupid Talk, Neil Postman. Really looking forward to reading this book. It's been 10 years since I first read this book. In fact, I read this book months 
before the context of white supremacy began in 2007. Read this book and his uh, one of his other books. He's written 18 books total, uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death, which is very, I think that's his most popular uh, book. It's in, it's been reprinted and they've got audiobooks and all that, but Crazy Talk, Stupid Talk, big fan. And it's specifically about words. I even think there'll be some information in that book that will be applicable to workplace racism because it talks a lot about paying attention to other people when they talk and to what they say so that you can detect when they might not, when they might be being dishonest with you or at minimum saying some things that don't make sense. So Neil Postman, looking forward, crazy talk, stupid talk tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific context of white supremacy. Did you need more time, Thomas, in New York? Oh, no, Gus. Um, I had um, definitely wanted to make some comments. Um, I wanted to give you a follow-up on um situation with the co-worker who I said uh, would always ask me about where I'm at. And um, when I, um, well, the other day, you know, let me give you a brief, brief breakdown. They have had me working in the operating room. Um, ever since my vacation, for the most part, I haven't been, and I should find a piece of wood to knock on, I haven't been put back in the um, ER ever since I went in and I was complaining about the mental illness um, stuff. So um, they put me in the OR, and in the OR I have to wear scrubs like a doctor. And um, for the most part, you're pretty much just locked in there. You're, you're all night yourself, you know, in the overnight shift. Um, and you don't really have to interact with other people. Um, so this um, female, uh, well, either way, a gentleman, at, a doctor that works in the OR, I sweat a lot. And they give us those hats that we have to cover, you know, our head with. And I'm, 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 I'm bald. But, um, you know, I, I always sport my head. But um, either way, it's like those... Um, old jerry curl caps, you know, like the, the, the donut-looking caps. So either way, he gave me a, surg- a bunch of surgical caps to put on. So this would be better for your sweating. So, you know, that's what I've been wearing. So I bumped into this, this white female who always asks me about, um, you know, where I'm located. And I have this surgical mask on, and I have on, you know, the, the surgical suit because I'm cleaning the OR. So I look like a surgeon. So someone comes up to me in front of her and asks me, you know, hey, doctor, excuse me. And they ask me a question. So I say, oh, you need, you know, I look at her and say, oh, because that's her job, you know. So I say, hey, you know, um, you need to speak to her. So she looked at it like um, I was playing like I'm a doctor and telling her what to do. Um, I found this out later. Um, So she hasn't spoken to me since, which has been a good thing. So the other, you know, just um, Monday I saw her. So I'm like, hey, I said her name, you know, just, you know, we were about to in, be walking up on each other. And I just said, let me give a litmus test here to see um, if she's really pissed. And um, she is. She didn't speak. She looked up at me and rolled her eyes and kept walking. So I just was tickled to death, man. Um, um, I did want to, I just wanted to make a <laughs> Oh, sorry, I'm outside, guys. So I'm trying to walk to work, trying to get my um, get to the plantation so I can get my orders. However, I did want to make a comment on, once again, um, I couldn't really um, get into it. I was on the train. But um, 
you hear often about them trying to make the black entertainer wear the dress and um, sexually effeminized black men in the Hollywood horrorwood um, spectrum. So um, when you look at Terry Crews, um, for him to be a horrorwood solid um, superstar, and um, he's an intimidating-looking black man, dark-skinned black man, very muscular built. Looks like he just came home from prison. Um, they made him sexually compromise himself real early in his career. And um, he, when he broke out, he had to play in um, the next Friday. He played an uh, ex-convict who um, was lusting after an effeminate-looking black male, um, Cat Williams. He wanted to, to rape him in the movie. And then they turned around and put him in another movie where they had to compromise him even more. Where he's a professional athlete lusting after white women, but ends up um, falling in love with a black guy dressed up like a white woman and white chicks. So this is um, what they've done to him. I mean, he's a, he hasn't put on the skirt as far as I know, but the characters he's played, he's been so effeminized. In that industry, I mean, uh, I, I could see one of these um, sexual degenerates thinking that he's down for whatever. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know what I'm saying these sense, but just I look at the characters he plays, and for them to put that big black guy like him in those characters is for a reason. Um, in the UK caller, um, she talked about finding a job and how sometimes, you know, it takes a long time and it's a grueling process. Um and this is the most important thing. This is the most important aspect of racism, white supremacy that we very rarely talk about. I talk about it all the time, but on cows, we don't really talk about it. Now, that decision will no longer be made by people, whether you get that job or not, whether you get an interview or not. That job is um, that, that's going to be determined by the artificial intelligence. Indeed.com, career builders, all of them have pushed over to artificial intelligence to connect the employer to the, um, you know, to the employee. Um, it's no longer them looking at your, your resume and looking at your qualifications and saying, oh, this person, you know, he has the qualifications. Let me call him in. Let me see what he knows. Oh, no, the AI is going to look at your, your area you live in and say, oh, this is a bad area. Um, it's going to look at um, the school you went to. And it's already been programmed with racist algorithms. So therefore, the AI knows that um, it's not the same to graduate from Howard as it is to graduate from Harvard. You know, I mean, how do you know that unless it's been programmed that way? So this is what we're about to be facing is these computer programs determining whether we get a job or not. We already can't get a job as good now. And imagine these people have programmed it to automatically eliminate us out of the process off the bat. Um, because who's programming this stuff? Who's writing all these codes and algorithms but the white supremacists? So, of course, those algorithms and codes are going to be um, just like the thoughts in their brains. I'm in my line, Gus. Thank Stacy in London. Uh, it is the 3.47 a.m. Friday morning. Did you have commentary? Um, yeah, um, just a brief update because... Um, now I've been going through a grievance process for quite a while. Um, I have now submitted all of the documentation for the um, 
recruitments to proceed. So I'm just waiting to hear. Um, but I guess my update this week um, links to, I think, points that I've made on previous calls about just being observant and aware of how non-white people can be used by suspected racists and confirmed racists. Um, so this week I did submit, as I said, the final documents. And a non-white female who is in my permanent um, team, or she's not in my direct team, but she's in my directorate, um, emailed me out of the blue, um, just wanting to catch up. And I'm actually, I've not been in the office again this week. Um, so she's received my out of office. So she has emailed me to say, oh, I've noticed that you are not in the office. When you come back in, I won't be in. Um, but hopefully we can catch up soon. I have absolutely no intention of catching up with her. Um, I, well, if and when I do see her in the building, because the building is designed in a way that you actually don't see people very often if you're not on the same floor as them. Um, and I'm currently not based on the same floor as her. Um, but I have no intention of catching up with her in any way, shape or form. Um, but I had suspected that she was being used to pump me for information and I can time it now when people are going to get in contact um, and you know I mean I'm not going to be any different to her you know I've been friendly with her in the past I will continue to be friendly um, but this this email from her just confirmed everything that I suspected the timing is just too coincidental um, and so, I'd, again, I'm just reiterating the point because I do think it's, it is it is worth noting uh, what we've been saying over the last couple of weeks about just being mindful about the conversations that we have with non-white people when she's aware of the um, situations that have happened with me, not in a lot of detail on the particular grievance matters, but just that there have been issues in the team. Um, and, you know, I, I do get on well with her. I don't personally dislike her and I'm not going to um, start disliking her from this point forward. However, um, it's just about being codified and trusting your instincts. And, um, you know, I haven't been as codified as I could have been in the past. Um, but, you know, I guess we, we can all, or I, th I think as uh, Mr. Fuller is always saying, still learning. Um, just trusting my instincts and it's it's almost comical in a way to be able to observe the tactics that racists play because my um, aggressive director I, I there was a day when I was sat talking to this uh, non-white female and the aggressive director did walk past and see us speaking. And this was um, before she had actually pushed past me the first time. I mean, she'd been aggressive, before, you know, walking towards me, but she never pushed into me at that point. Um, but they do observe. And I know she noted 
me talking to this non-white female and I knew at some point she was going to be used um, in some way, shape or form. So it's just being put into practice now. And as I said, this email this week just confirmed it for me by the timing. Um, and so I guess my point to those listening is to be careful who you speak to, um, be observant and um, trust your instincts there. And I'll move my line, Gus. Trust your instincts, absolutely. And being careful about who you speak to. That's a theme I think we've uh, mentioned a number of times on the program. I think my code for this is solid and I do not see it changing uh, for the rest of my time on this planet. Uh, anything that I say to anyone who is affiliated with a place where I'm employed, if I'm talking to them, I assume that what I'm saying <clears throat> is going to be repeated to everybody who works at that particular business uh, transcribed and available for the next 10 years. Uh, and if I'm not comfortable with whatever I say being archived in that manner, then I don't say it. And I have found that that works flawlessly uh, for me. And it makes sure that I'm mindful. I think a lot of times we get in trouble <clears throat> just talking, 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 and not realizing people might be, you know, listening to what we have to say or looking to cause us problems based on things that we've said. So, just keep that in mind. Uh, always take that seriously. If you're talking to somebody that you work with, that this could be repeated, shared with everyone. Self-censor accordingly. Uh, with anybody, any any final comments? Do we have a last comment before we get ready? Yeah, to I got one more um, situation, Gus. Um, on the weekends, they put me in um, the, the cafeteria, you know, the um, the lobby. So that includes the cafeteria, everything on the first floor, but the emergency room. But I do have to cover psych emergency room. So um, generally, I get a beeper. And they beat me when they need a bed changed. Um, now, this is not a part of my duty. The gentleman who does the emergency room is an older man. Um, and he has COPD, and he complains about um, the work. So they allocate the person at the lobby to now go to do the psych ER. So um, I must admit, I slip up a lot and don't, don't get a chance to check it as often as I should. But that's because the work I have to do is tedious. Oh so um, I go over there around 2 in the morning. I check, um, I change the garbage. Now, I'm only supposed to be called for beds. He's supposed to do the garbage, but he doesn't go in there at all. And uh, he does. He wasn't wiping the beds down and cleaning the room good anyway, so I don't mind doing it. But um, either way, I change the garbage. All the beds are full, so I leave. So, you know, that's 2 in the morning. I don't get any beats. It's around 6.30. I get off at 7. I'm sitting down at this point talking to the shift that's coming in. Uh, and the white doctor from the psych ER comes over to me. And he says, oh, good. You're sitting here enjoying yourself. And I got beds that need to be changed. So I look up at him. So I'm thinking, you know, who do you think he's talking to? So I, I slip into my mode like, um, well, I didn't get any beats for any beds. So he's like, what you mean you got to get beats for beds? So I said, well, that's the procedure. So he says, oh, well, tell me how the procedures work. So I explained it to him. So he says, oh, you know, I'm sorry for coming off that way. Um, you know, I'll, you know, can you please just come over and do the bed before you go home and, and you know, you know, apologize. So I said, okay. So um, when I get back upstairs to the locker room, they, they said that I was cooning. And I'm like, how was I cooning? You know, like I, was, I explained to the guy the procedures. 
you know, oh, I would have just told him, you know, I would have got nasty with him. I told him I ain't going to do nothing, you know, when he came off at you. But I guess my code is different. Um, but I, I just wanted to point that out. I'll mute my line. Thank you, Gus. Hilarious. Hilarious. Wow. It can happen to any of us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Name calling is is pretty rampant and, and that's great. And I guess you should be prepared to deal for that too. Uh, in case other non-white people, uh, they might be the ones doing the name calling, which, you know, can be a problem. You can have a code for how you deal with that uh, as well. But yeah, no, no surprise there. Glad to hear you were able to, to handle that without too much trauma. Wow. Everyone's favorite term. Uh, with that, we'll be here tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, the first study session on Neil Postman's Crazy Talk, Stupid Talk, How We Defeat Ourselves by the Way We Talk and What to Do About It. Great book, directly impacted the context of white supremacy. Again, I read it months before this program came into existence. 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific tomorrow evening. We'll be here Saturday, compensatory call-in. Sunday for the global Sunday talk on racism. Uh, thank you everyone for participating. I hope it was a constructive investment of your Thursday evening. Uh, if you have problems finding something in the archives, if you have a guest suggestion, uh, if you have a gripe complaint question until justice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Let us know. Uh, we will be back uh, tomorrow, about 24 hours. Uh, looking forward. Uh, again, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Uh, if you're going to be out and about, I would definitely encourage sobriety. Racists, they frequently take advantage of non-white people uh, when we are under the influence and not able to make the best decisions. Keep that in mind, especially if you're going to be in a vehicle, driver, or as a passenger sobriety would be best and buckle up let's do everything that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers that's it creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. Shut I'm a victim up. of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.